1: Mobilized by the Secret Masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Down so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And Jack is the winner this time. All right. (laughs) Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. I attack! Roll a d20, Don.
0: I got a 17.
1: And the armor class. Oh, you did it. Congratulations. All right. As you might guess, dear listeners, tonight we're going to be talking about role-playing games again. Except this time, we're going to go hardcore into Dungeons & Dragons, the role-playing game. The role-playing game that most people think about when you say the word tabletop role-playing. And to talk about Dungeons & Dragons, we of course have brought in a fellow old-school, old-timer who uh, has many tales to tell, has many, lived through many adventures, Jack Ward. Welcome to the show, Jack.
2: Oh, so good to be had back. Thanks, folks. I'm an old-timer. It's so... Just a second, I gotta roll. <laughs> it's so happy to see... I'm happy to see you.
1: What did you roll, Jack?
2: I rolled an 18. According to my charisma
1: and my comeliness, which is not useful here on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Jack, you are the most charming guy ever. Congratulations. The audience loves you. Thank
2: you. (laughs) That's why I was always a paladin, because I thought
1: I could get girls. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. All right. So. Um, I was always a thief because I thought I could just steal crap, but yeah, that, that was me. <laughs> anyway, so yes, folks, tonight we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons, the original tabletop role-playing game, or at least the original t- fantasy tabletop role-playing game, because it, of course, evolved out of Miniatures Wargaming, which predated it,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, specifically it evolved out of a, oh, was it actually a homebrew, or were they playing a specific tabletop war game when they came up with it? Um, it was I'll both talk, it's both because it's it, we're talking about uh should be Jamie. gary gygax and uh dave arneson correct
0: yep and uh rob uh koontz
1: rob koontz okay yeah and um so they were playing a tabletop war game a miniatures based war game which of course was about i'm assuming was a standard one or was it actually medieval or did they make it medieval what's the story don tell me i'm confused
0: Okay. Uh, the way that it worked, the the Dungeons and Dragons comes right out of the uh, Chainmail tabletop role playing game. Not uh, role playing. Right. You're making me do it now. Uh, tabletop war game,
2: mm-hmm. which I have the original Chainmail.
0: Yeah. Is it the original or is it Ninth Edition?
2: It no. It's it's spirally small. Silver cover. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Fantasy supplement included.
2: Uh, I don't know if the fantasy supplement. I haven't read it, seen it in a while. I'll have to pull it out and take a look at it again. Literally. Oh, just a second. Here it is. <laughs> of course. I keep it right back here. Oh, Chain wow. Chainmail rules for medieval miniatures by Gary Gygax and Jeff Perrin. Oh, sorry. I lied. Third edition.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I have third edition. Mm-hmm. So The third edition came out uh, 1979 in
1: April. Mm-hmm. So. Right. First edition was 1971. Yeah. So it sounds like they released quite a few editions of that game.
0: Uh, they did, I think. Well, if you count the the modern version they did, I think there's like 11, 10 or 11 different uh, versions. Although each version isn't really uh, that different. Mm -hmm. It tends to just get reorganized a little better. It's it's, it's kind of the same thing that happened to d d Right. Yeah, it's Mm. to be expected. Yeah. Because the original Chainmail, it's a a historical tabletop Mm -hmm. board game. Right. And they That's the name. Pardon? That's the name, Chainmail. Well, yeah, well, they include different kinds of uh, troops from all kinds of different eras in that. Mm-hmm. And what they what had happened was, at one point, um, I think we, we, we got into the basics of this before on the show here, they added a, a fantasy supplement. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, there, well, there's two important things. They added a fantasy supplement, and they did a man-to-man combat uh, system for it. Right. And those are important because... Uh chainmail uses one term that war games still use, but they used it different, and that was scale. Mm-hmm. That chainmail was designed for a uh, a one to twenty scale. Right. right? Mm. Which means one piece on the table represents twenty troops.
1: Okay. Sure.
0: And then they did the um the second part of it, which has the jousting rules and the man to man system, is what they called one one scale. Mm-hmm. Which nowadays for tabletop gaming, one-one scale means like real life, right? Yeah, yeah. So, just in case anyone, in case anyone picks it up and wonders about, man, I got to get some big-ass miniatures. Well, yeah, those would be
1: rather big miniatures. That's true. Um, yeah, I've seen I've seen what a one I've seen what a one-to-one scale Gundam looks like, and let me tell you, it's impressive. <laughs> Um, so
2: here's a yeah. question before we go any further, and I know I know I don't want to jump ahead, mm-hmm. but is this is chainmail related at all to the battle systems uh supplements they had out in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition? Because I'm holding it right now. Yeah. They're, I've got both battle systems and battle systems skirmishes. And I didn't know if they came from chainmail originally or not.
0: No, they're they're it's something completely different. okay.
1: You can put them back
0: on the shelf, Jack.
1: I'm doing that right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: The man comes prepared <laughs> he did <laughs> so so yeah, and that's um chainmail's the progenitor, and I think it's kinda, kind of mm-hmm. kind of um important to take in, into account at the time the late sixties going into the seventies, there was a sword and sorcery boom mm-hmm. um and that was where the um like the fantasy supplement that they did for chainmail I'm I'm betting came out of that
2: where did that come from was that because of the science fiction fantasy writers like Michael Moorcock and and uh you know Lord Fowl's Bane and all that kind of stuff came in the 70s as well or was that something that was happening elsewhere Do you know
0: yeah i think what ended up happening um tolkien came back cuz when tolkien mm-hmm. came out in the 30s like nobody cared right but what happened in the 60s was because of Led Zeppelin, token got popular.
2: Oh, right, right. This, Cause, this this harkens back to your heavy metal
1: show. Uh-huh,
0: yep, yep.
2: Uh, hyperlink here. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> yep. There will be. Yep. And then what what ends up happening from, from that, I think what you also got go, even going into the 70s was you had the psychedelic experience. You had, um, when you go into the 70s, you had a lot of alternative spiritualism. Uh, people weren't into the establishment they were looking for all this different stuff. they were looking to expand their consciousness uh spiritualism came in the new age stuff human came potent- in
2: human potential movement was big then yeah
0: yeah there was all kinds of that and part of what came into that was was the fantasy thing the magic, the sword and sorcery and I think that was a big part of what ushered that in hmm. makes sense and um and anybody who who listened to like um our apocalypse RPG show, which at the moment we're recording, this hasn't gone up yet. When you got in, when you got into that era too, you also had, um, a lot of science fiction was apocalyptic and it mm-hmm. was post apocalypse. Cause people were getting worried. Environmentalism was just starting up. Um, mm-hmm. people were, people were just realizing, wait, aw, dumping shit in the ocean matters. And I, th- I think Aww,
2: the crying native by the side of the road.
0: Yep, exactly.
2: I, I just remembered that commercial.
0: And that was part uh, of... If you remember yeah. at that time, there was a lot of that. There was Give a Hoot, Don't Pollute. Mm-hmm. Sure. With with Woodsy the Owl. There was a lot of that kind of thing. And I think that's where you started seeing um, some overlap. Because like we we were saying, post-apocalypse and Sword and Sorcery you have a lot of similarities. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when you've got the spiritualism, the the, the magic... The psychedelia that plays into it that lends itself more to sword and sorcery. Uh, you no, know, I yep.
2: if I if I may throw something in here. I uh, there's a book by Monica Hughes called Hunter in the Dark. Have you, have you ever read it? It's a young adult book. No. And uh, what I was actually living in London at the time and mm-hmm. taking taking this children's course. So I was up in Rob's neck of the neighborhood mm-hmm. and children's literature course, and they were talking about how. Uh, a couple of things, which was interesting number one uh ch- in children 's books uh food replaces sex is what you 'd have in other books so that 's an interesting thing uh, hmm. The other thing was that um uh she saw uh a certainly a um a sort of a a, a line of uh, going along that went from uh reality. And if you followed along the line too far, you'd get into fantasy, right? And then sort of like some, some stories would sort of break between reality and fantasy in F.C.S. Lewis. But on the other side mm-hmm. of reality, you would have psychology. And so you would get into like Jungianism and stuff like that so far down the line that somewhere along there, psych- psychological aspects would actually fuse with reality or with uh, fantasy on the other side. So there's this interesting uh, continuum between mm-hmm. uh psych uh, which was like heavy reality psychology reality mm-hmm. and fantasy and the, the heavy reality and fantasy connected together. So I can see that being an aspect too in the 70s because everybody was in their heads, man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep,
0: well that's dude, that not net LSD. Well and <laughs> and that's in in a lot of ways what you're getting at was uh what a lot of the psychedelia was about. Right? That it was it mm-hmm. was that weird And then, yeah, the LSD helped, but it was expanding consciousness by blurring that line between, say, reality or perception of reality and fantasy.
2: Hmm. Right. Very cool. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
2: So D&D started in 74. That was the first original box set. Yep. So that's early on in that.
0: Yep. And the same thing, too, like um, the, Mm -hmm. the... the 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 chainmail thing, adding the the fantasy supplement. If you've seen it, it's very Tolkien esque. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that that uh, you see persist into different editions because uh, the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, especially, kind of form the basis for the type of fantasy and the type of sword and sorcery that kinda oh, yeah. evolves into.
1: Exactly. Like, for example, prior to um, D&D, elves were basically these little sprites that lived in the forest. Like, yeah. the, the idea of the Tolkien elves, or the D&D elves, is completely Tolkien elves. Like, that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I would argue that basically, D- Dungeons & Dragons, for the most part, especially the early edition, is just a Tolkien role-playing game. It's just, you know, it's just got the name filed off.
2: That's why they kind of made halflings instead of of hobbits. They couldn't use the name. Right?
0: Yeah, so, they did, at yeah. First. Like they did it first. Like I believe if you,
1: if I remember, yeah,
0: yeah. If you go through chainmail, they do reference hobbits, but there were there were other influences too. Because like uh, Robert E. Howard and specifically Conan played yeah. a part. Because if you look at troop types in the original chainmail, they reference the hero and the superhero, mm-hmm. which are the Conan esque. Mighty warrior that wades in and just hacks through like an entire army on his own. Right. right.
2: Well, uh, later on, there you have the barbarian character class, right? And and yeah. and, and that yep. certainly is is harkens to to
1: Conan for sure. Oh, yeah,
0: more m- more than a little, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> more than a little. Well, because yeah.
1: everyone wanted to play Conan. Remember that was done during the time when there were a ton of Conan comics and novels. There was practically a Conan craze at that time. Especially yep, in the yeah.
2: 70s. Well, and I will, I, I will not admit that I do have a character in Skyrim that looks exactly like Conan.
1: Um, <laughs> you don't I have to hated. admit it, Jack. We all knew it anyway. <laughs> That's <right. laughs> So, okay, so basically they created a Tolkien role-playing game with the, ne- with the names filed off, so to speak. Uh, our, okay, once the Tolkien lawyers got a hold of them, they, they filed the names off anyway.
0: Um, yeah.
1: That also explains why the elves in first edition D&D are just massive. I mean, there's literally no reason not to play an elf if you want to kick ass in first edition D&D, or well, early Probably. editions of D&D. There's only one one reason. There is one reason,
2: mm-hmm. and that is limited character levels. Yep. Right? So that was the way that they they, they identified why you'd want to play a human. Humans had the ability to be uh, dual class characters with mm-hmm. unlimited levels. So I mean, once you decide on your second class, you had to stop your first class. But still, you could. Mm-hmm. So I would have a character that might be seventy fifth level mage and forty fifth level fighter, and you couldn't do that with the original rules with the elves. They stopped at like twelve or something. Or well,
1: yeah, it's, hold, hold, it's hold on a sec here. You're definitely talking about AD&D later on because original D&D, I, they only the levels only go up to like ten to begin with. Yeah. Well, sure, there's
0: sure. There's there's catches to that. Okay.
1: Tell um, us, dungeon
0: master. <laughs> to to nerd it up. Uh Go you said ahead. that
1: This is the nerd show.
0: Yeah, you you said that uh the what was the term you used for for humans could be uh, a be- class? Yeah, they're not exactly there's dual class and multi class.
2: Yeah, that's right. They could be multi class, which was yeah. a cool thing. You which could was... get a an elf which is like was a magic user, cleric, a thief. Mm-hmm. Which was was a cool
1: thing to do, yeah. Again, yeah. Awesome. you guys are referring to AD and D original D and D. You were just an elf. You were just nope. a wizard. You were
0: very, 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 very original D and D. Because when the white box set came out, mm-hmm. um, there were ideas in that that kind of disappeared afterwards and came back in later editions. And the very, very, very original one. Mm-hmm. Depending on the ver, because there's technically two versions. There's the Greyhawk version and the Blackmore version. Right. But you could play, you would play like a Dwarven fighter. Right. Okay. Like yeah, and-, and
2: the ver. I'm looking at the web page right now on Wikipedia for the 1974, which is the one I got the one in 76, I think, or 78, or something. But I, uh, the one, the, the one in 74, the first three volume set that they have, they said there mm-hmm. were just three character classes. Mm-hmm. Fighting man, magic user, and cleric. Four races: human, dwarf, elf, and hobbit. There you go. Yeah. And only mm-hmm. three alignments: lawful, neutral, and chaotic.
1: Yep. Right. But and those races we... couldn't wait. Those races could actually be any of those three character classes.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's well, the case.
0: There, there were, there were, there were. It worked in just like in in uh, what people who played AD and D remember. Okay. And and there's level limits, and I I don't remember. A hundred percent, but there are limits on who can be what. So I, I mm-hmm. think dwarves can't be clerics in that edition as well.
2: Dwarves right. can't be wizards. Oh, okay, I, they can be illusionists, but they can't be wizards, right? So that's what they had, and I mean, that's that's the nineteen seventy seven box that I remember. Yeah. Right? Well, that's mm-hmm. that's
0: that's more AD and D because it, what and this is where it gets really weird and complicated with again the ideas coming and going. Um, when they did, uh, Gygax did Greyhawk. And Arnison did a Blackmore, and they add they changed the the they changed the mechanics because they added the rogue, which is your thief class, right? Um, Bard and illusionist came later in early Dragon magazines. They were optional classes that you could add, and they came out kind of just at the point where white box had become red box and and AD and D. Okay, but that was. Steve-
2: yeah, that's it. See, I remember Advanced D anD D having illusionist and magic user, and that yep. was it. But it did it didn't have rogue. It had thief, thief. assassin, and bard. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, no, monk, and monk. Yeah, was monk class in there too. Um, and and they got rid of the monk eventually, and moved everything. They got rid of the whole idea of an assassin. They sort of sat there and said everybody can be an assassin, kind of thing. So mm. that's why they got rid of that later on in the second edition, I think.
0: So. Yeah, well, because if you remember in, in AD anD D illusionist Mm -hmm. is a subclass of magic user uh assassin is a subclass of thief yeah and it it kind of means certain things but that played off of stuff that had come out in the original white box oh okay which again
2: also like ranger and paladin were subclasses of fighters so they all had their own subclasses just like druid was a subclass of a cleric
0: yeah Hmm. yeah and that came because they what what ended up happening was the the white books came out. It was real difficult. Like you couldn't just buy them and learn the game. Somebody had to teach you. Right.
1: Just because, because they, they were so
0: badly organized. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um. They wanted to to they wanted to do a a re edit of them. That would be those rules, in more legible form, and that's. The original I've seen it called Blue Box, right? Which had a, a really small print run. You you never ever see them. The one that they call Red Box, which yeah. became like basic, Red. yeah, basic, advanced, companion, master, mm-hmm. and immortal. That version comes after that one.
2: Yeah, whatever happened to Expert? Because you had Basic and Expert and Advanced, and Expert sort of went off the map, and so did Basic eventually. Like, I mean, once they got rid of, they sort of separated, and then they all came back together again in 2nd edition. You never heard again of of Advanced or Basic or whatever, right?
0: Oh, oh no, they did stuff. Um, What ends up happening is, when the Redbox one was coming out, it was meant to be an introduction, Mm-hmm. and then the advanced Dungeons & Dragons rules was supposed to be, I guess you'd say, the main game.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: But they split off. Uh, there was there was kind of a dispute. There was a bit of a back and forth. They essentially became two completely different games.
2: The basic game was more yeah. role-playing based, right? And the advanced game was far more rules-based.
0: Uh, yeah, no, because what ends up happening is they did basic and expert for D&D, And then it kind of languished a bit because Advanced came out and everybody shifted to that because there was more... Again, yeah, like you say, there's more rules, there's more detail, there's more you could do with it. But by the mid-80s, they brought back the other one and they added uh, the Companion Rules, the Master Rules, the Immortal Rules. Mm -hmm. Which kind of... They added more because they added like um, weapon specialization. So you could have a guy that would... uh, You'd you'd pick a specialization for a weapon and every so many levels you'd pick another one, you could double them up, get different abilities with certain weapons. Um they added a skill system to that mm-hmm. version that came out with uh Tall Tales of the Wee Folk. Um right. and it and it it did kinda go more for um more of the, the, the high fantasy fantastical kind of thing. And it went for for bigger, because in theory, you could have your character go up past level thirty six and become a god okay,
2: yeah, I've got the immortals handbook there too, which yeah. is nice, but that i thought that came mm-hmm. out after sec, during the second edition
0: no ca- it came out kind of just before oh, okay like a d and d was still the big thing, and uh for i don't know exactly why they brought back like the d and d thing, and they, they added the, the last three volumes to it, and a bunch of extra, a bunch of extra supplements. But right. that kind of came out just before second. Okay.
2: I love the Immortals rules, because they, they give you, like, powers, so you don't have to have like uh, any kind of equipment, you energize the equipment. So you use so many points of mm-hmm. your powers, and you've got yourself a plus five Defender Sword. Yeah. Right. right. And that was the, very cool, right? So then you just, like, I, I don't need anything but me, and of course my energy would drop off, and I'd have to you know recharge or whatever. But it was a kind of a cool idea. So,
1: right now, was there any like substantial, I should say, uh, differences in play or feel between these original d- editions of D anD D, or were they really just tweaking the rules?
0: Um, do you mean like for the like the Master Set? In, yeah, in yeah Mortis, exa- so. well,
1: just in, just in general. Okay, as we're going from like say nineteen seventy one to nineteen eighty one, for example, how right. does the game exactly evolve? Like, how what are, what are they changing here as they're go- as they're going through? Well, the so, um, do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, there's the D and D set, the uh, the extra bits, like basic and expert, kind of just advance your character. Mm-hmm. But when they did the third box, which the companion rules, they had, um, they had rules for, for kingdoms. When they did the master set, they added the rules for, um, mm-hmm. for weapon proficiencies, which was something you could use with a first level character. Like the, These were rules that fleshed out the whole game that if you were starting a new campaign, it would be good to have from the beginning. Right. Yes, probably would be. Yeah, when... You know
2: what's really cool that I thought about is like, um, well, I played the basic and then I played the advanced. I didn't. I, I played a bit with the expert, but I found it very similar to the basic kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I what I loved at the time about the advanced, which I probably wouldn't love as much if I were picking up the game right now, is because it was so detailed it sort of gave me, because this was new, like, nobody had played games like this before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you were really sort of futzing around trying to figure out how this to be done well, especially me when I was, like, playing the... I was a DM constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, like, always trying to figure out, like, how does this... How do you be a DM? So the more information they had, the better it was for me, even though it, it kind of hemmed you in. Nowadays, right. we're all so steeped in this... Uh, universe that I think you could get by with a lot less rules because we played it in video games. We, you know, we watched so many movies about this. People would be so much easy. You know, it'd be a whole lot easier for them to to leap into this kind of mindset of of doing sort of tabletop role playing games. But at the time, mm. it was it was like learning an entirely different language that nobody else you knew play, could speak. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, here, Jack. Why don't you tell us about your very first exposure to Dungeons and Dragons? Do you remember it?
2: Well, I was thinking, yeah, I do. But I, we, I, I had an exposure earlier than that, and it was an exposure to uh, tunnels and trolls.
3: Oh, and, okay. And, and it was,
2: it was like an older friend of mine, Andrew Mestern. Shout out to Andrew. Um, hmm. He, we wrote a lot together. Like stupid, like we did our own version of Cracked and stuff like that. I mean, the comic, not the website. Right, and, right. And and he, bought, he had this like spiral-backed version of Tunnels and Trolls, and I thought that was really cool, and Mm -hmm. and it was designed so that he could play it, you know, first person. It was by Flying Buffalo, I think, is the company. Yeah, I believe it was. And and so I thought, that's kind of cool. And then I remember there was there was, like, I thought there was an Ogres game, too, that came with it, but I can can never find it, so maybe it was just in my head. But Mm -hmm. then what happened was about when I was 13 or so, my friend, God rest his soul, Martin Agnew passed away twenty one years ago now. Um hmm. he he bought like the basic D and brought it over mm-hmm. to my place and we played it. And this is pre dice. We had chits. Right? <laughs> so we had we had little like salt shaker bottles where we keep the chits in and we'd have to pull out numbers, right? And out of out of twenty you pull out a numbers like, oh natural twenty, you know, or something like that. Right. And so we always picked, like, because it was just the two of us, we would always take, like, three characters each. And even though he was DMing it to begin with, um, he tried to sort of divorce himself a little bit from it. But you're, you're you know, your kids, you'd want to have the. The biggest, strongest, whatever, so we'd always have like a fighter, a mage and and a cleric to heal us, right right and of course. And, and, and being the sexist people that we were, most of our clerics were female, right <laughs> like, mm. at the time we were kids right so right cool. yeah of course. He- <laughs> the healer of course had to be the female at the time so um we uh so that's that's where my beginning was and then we loved it so much we would play almost every weekend just the two of us and then i started buying some stuff i remember going to the uh, the mall in Guelph and there was a bookstore there and that's where you could get like the advanced dungeons and dragons books and that's right. where i that's where I got the, and that's where we started making like our real jumps. And we also shared for like three or four years the uh, Dragon magazine subscription. So much so that we were invited to like the second or fourth Gen Con mm-hmm. as 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 uh, as DMs. They like they were they would have held a table for us. We were like fourteen years old, and it was in Wisconsin. There was no way we could have gone, but but at right. the time it was like it was so cool. It was bragging rights that you know he, these Dragon Magazine wanted us to play, play a Dungeons and Dragons at a Gen Con. So that's that, awesome. That, huh. that was pretty cool. So that was that was like the very beginning of it for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. What was yours? Because I don't think you D and D was as big for you as it was for me, and I think the reason was. Like beyond the fact that I love fantasy, mm-hmm. uh, it's not, and it's not one of your favorite things. But by the time you guys are a little y- younger than I am, so there were a lot more
1: options by the time you came around. Don, do you want to go first? Oh, you go first. Okay. Um, the truth is, when I first played D anD D, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. I hated it. Right. Um, I was basically uh, roped into playing D anD D at a friend's birthday party, and I thought this thing was stupid. And I, I didn't I, I didn't like it at all um, now keep in mind I was not a big fantasy fan when I was a kid I didn't, I didn't hate it I just it wasn't you know I just didn't have that great love of fantasy so and we're by the way we're talking somewhere around like uh, 1979 1980 is roughly when when I'm tell, you know what I'm talking about here around the early beginning of, around the 80s or 1980 and so at that point I'm um, yeah I'm just not interested in fantasy stuff. I tried it out again with friends later on. Didn't care much for it then, and in truth, I think I mentioned this before. I got into gaming through superhero role playing gaming because right. uh, I was exposed to that. And once I discovered that there, and I was a huge superhero fan, so discovering there were superheroes, I'm like, hey, I'm down for this. And uh, the BattleTech role playing game, MechWarrior, got into that. That was awesome. So I was totally down for this stuff. And. Uh, eventually by being part of a you know an actual role playing group uh, you know they wanted to play you know D&D and, that, and so I ended up playing D&D but not very often actually the group I belonged to with uh, Chad is a member of as well or was um we didn't really play that much D&D like it was actually pretty rare we were so busy playing superhero and sci-fi and other games that we didn't play that much D&D in general so D&D is not something that I have like these great fond memories of, like you guys for whatever reason. I hmm. actually don't. Um wow. Sorry, I know it's blasphemy, but so <laughs> D and D D and D was not my role playing game. Partly a game because, as Jack just said, I came in later when there was more options, and so they just attracted me more. Right. And the, and the crazy people I hung out with as well.
2: And I huh. think I think all the church women from Bad came over and talked to him. You know, the people <laughs> they might who have... did. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons, came and, and and had a good conversation with him and talked about
1: it. Well, you know, I probably knew more about D and D because of Bad and because <laughs> of uh, those things that were going on than I did because of actual exposure to the game. Really, yeah. I mean, I knew what it was. I even read the rule book. I think at one point when I was a kid, but it's just I just never saw the appeal, not to any great degree, anyway. Wow.
2: Greatest marketing campaign ever, right? Yeah, yeah, t- yeah. Tell kids it's bad for them. <laughs> well, that and
1: they will go to it.
0: Yeah, and because that was the thing. Like when I started, I started with that weird kind of uh, pre-red box, blue box kind of thing.
3: Mm-hmm. which
0: I remember being about seven years old and reading it at Steak and Burger after picking it up at Leisure World at the mall. But I, I can, re- I can remember like for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. being like it and and this is where, like D&D was it there, there were no other games really right and it was kind of a lonely time cuz you'd get the odd supplement you'd run into a couple of people that 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 played in in the area and then all of a sudden we found out it was evil and holy crap it was everywhere overnight mhm like i distinctly remember that i remember like you'd have to scramble to find anything anywhere. You might go to the bookstore or the game store, and they'd have, like, a pack of miniatures or a pack of dice. And then overnight, you'd go to the Eaton Center at Yorkdale, and they had a little kind of, um, like, circular kiosk in the center of, of the store. That would be 20 people deep all trying to get in and get stuff. That was like, holy smokes. Yeah. Hey, buddy,
2: well, hey buddy want to buy a D20? <laughs> <laughs> Open up the trench coat, you know. There it goes. The yep. Sky. There you go, oh, man. You got a D eight, man. I need a D eight. I'm shaking. Sure so, Just one D eight, okay? Just one.
1: Just one, man.
2: Just roll it for me, man. I won't even touch it. Just roll it. Just roll it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. It was there was there was some lean years where people were just hungry for it. I mean, they showed it. I guess on that's on um, the '70s show they had them playing D and D. There's a lot of shows that had them doing it mm-hmm. because it was just such a big craze. It was like the number one game. I remember when it like usurped Monopoly as the most popular board game, and people were just it was like that was a huge story at that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that kind of came later. That's sort of uh, getting more. That-
2: that's in the 80s.
0: Yeah, or seventy nine, eighty. It's It's just getting yep. into
1: the 80s. Yeah, because, well, that was the peak of D&D really was, I mean, the round 1980 basically. Yep. Um, and I'd say that uh, it's not a coincidence, right? D&D came, arrived at the same time as Star Wars, uh, video games. Um, yeah, it, you know, ten pool movies. I mean, that was like the great era of nerddom. The first great era of nerddom anyway, I'd say. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Well, I'm noticing that the Dungeons and Dragons box set that they talk about, the basic box set, was released in with by different authors at various times, so everybody had a chance to sort of mess with it. Because there was the the '77 version, which was J. Eric Holmes. Yeah. The '81 version, which was Tom Moldvay. And the 83 version, which was Frank Metzer, which I remember. And then Troy Denning apparently did a 91 version. So even as late as 91, they were releasing a basic Dungeons & Dragons
0: box set. Yeah, well, those those are the, the edits. I think the 91 one is, uh, was the, uh, the Rules Cyclopedia, which was all five okay. versions in one big-ass book. Oh, oh okay. okay,
3: cool, cool.
0: Yeah, because there's always been a lot of dispute over who invented what. Like right, mm-hmm. is credited with it, but again, if if you get a chance to see the uh, the white box, you can see that with uh blackmore the uh, the Dave Ernson there. He did mm-hmm. add a lot to it. he He added a lot of stuff that didn't come back as well because the Blackmore version uses hit locations right, and right. oh my God, are you fragile?
3: <laughs> like,
0: like that was that was one of the things, and this kind of gets to what Jack was talking about with AD and D. The game, it's more game than story or real life because once you get around third or fourth level, you can take like eight, nine arrow hits, and your mm-hmm. your guy doesn't go down, and that's not realistic. But when you look at a lot of like the high fantasy net, that's the kind of thing you'd see, like the. Right. the popular image of Conan with his torn chain mail and, like, three arrows in his shoulder and stuff. mm mm-hmm. um, The Blackmore version, Dave Arnenson wanted it to be more realistic. So you had your hit point total like normal, but your different locations each had a hit point total of their own that was based on your overall. Mm-hmm. And your head would have, like,
3: 10%. <laughs>
0: so if if you had 50 hit points... Which is really good that you're you're talking mm. to getting around like tenth level to get that many mm. your head ta- your head takes five points of damage and then you die
2: <laughs> just, just for those people who've never played d and d we used to point out that the first level wizard had less hit points and was more easily killed by a common ground squirrel <laughs> than. <laughs> than yep. anything else. Yeah. So so that was the I mean, I think that's part of the excitement playing D D is the earlier levels because you were so fragile. Yeah. Yep. Once you start getting up to levels ten, twelve and stuff like that, they really have to ramp up the monsters to make it anywhere near as dangerous. And it's that danger. It's that mm. that oh my God, this person this character I invested so much time into could get killed and removed from the game that's where the excitement sort of goes and that's why so many games sort of taper off after a while you know, yeah. you get to a point where you have like yeah we're not going to be able to beat this monster unless we have like a plus six holy sword just a second let me go through my backpack here uh, <laughs> <you know? Yep. laughs> my portable hole you know i have four of them one in each pocket right uh, right so, <laughs> Yep. <yeah. laughs>
1: You know, it's funny actually how early D and D was like actually the, going back to the video games of the time, like mm-hmm, the video yep. games of that of that time, like you know what I'm talking, of course, about you know Space Invaders, um, later on Galaga, you know all that Defender, all that stuff. They were damn hard, like mm-hmm, they right. were much harder than the games that people play today. You needed real skill and it took real effort. And if you actually got a high score, that really meant something back in those days. That's why a high score was a big deal.
0: Right,
2: so why you gotta w- go watch the documentary King of Kong? That good <laughs> to you. you ever seen that? No, I
1: haven't. Yeah, Maybe I should look oh, that one up.
2: Totally great documentary about the guy who wants to beat the 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 world record of Kong, Donkey Kong. Right, and and it's a real dramatic thing too, because the guy who actually has the record is a real jerk, or at least he's painted that way in the documentary. You never really right. know, right? Yeah, right. Um, But it's just it's it's classic. It's beautiful. It's a really funny. <laughs> documentary check it out
1: i i'm taking it out i will go check it out I'll, and i'll put a link in the show notes if i can find it um but hyperlink exactly hyperlink here <laughs> all right so but the game i find that interesting though that yeah early DD part of the fun of it was there was that real challenge like i remember actually rolling up a wizard character that had one hit point
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that's that's seriously one hit point if yeah. Anything happened to that character? And he had one hit point and two spells that he could use once a day.
2: That's right. Yeah. You to, and you spend eight hours a day trying to get those spells back. Exactly. See, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have let you run off with a character like that. I was. A, I was a pretty easier d and, a d and d guy for the first. The first level characters, I probably wouldn't have let somebody go with at least half the possibilities of your hit points that you could get. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the smallest I've let a, a, a wizard go is like two, and, but he had a constitution of 16, so he had an extra plus two, which gave him four. Because, I mean, seriously, the, the odd dart or, you know, an ill wind in the <laughs> south could kill you. It's not yeah, that. basically. But if you managed
1: to live, damn, did you have, like, bragging rights. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that's yeah. the point.
0: Because well, you guys have kind of hit on two interesting points for gaming in general. Mm-hmm. and the one is that feel that you're talking about of achieving that comes from the idea that D&D came directly from tabletop wargaming,
3: mm-hmm.
0: where that piece on the table, that is not Grognar of the town of Feeble Beeble, That's asshole number one with Spear, and and his job is to go out there and die. Like, when you read, say, the White Box uh, D&D, they're recommending groups of 20 and it, and yeah, it's because it's a meat grinder and that was why uh basic D and D was levels one to three because it wasn't until you got to like level four that you could really take more than one or two hits.
1: Right. And nice. I think, I think a lot of people did actually run with, they would have each person would have like two or three characters. Oh yeah. And, and then you'd basically, and then if any of them managed to get to level, you know, two or three and get some, you know, start to build up hits, that was awesome. That was your character. Yep.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, they, they said many of the modules that you would buy, they'd say, you know, must be so, you know, first of all, they'd say like so many different characters of this level. And then eventually they would say things like, you know, mm-hmm. characters that equal this amount of total levels together. Right. kind of thing. Yeah, that came... So you could have a, a variety more that way.
0: Yeah, because that... That came later. The original ones would... And and if you look at it, if you're a newer player of a later version, this is absolutely horrifying. But it would say for 8 to 12 characters levels, 5 to 7. But it's, it's that idea that you would have... You'd be going in with an army. Because remember, those 8 characters all probably have 3 or 4 hirelings with them. Wow. So you're, you, And this is the assumption that you're going in with an army. Because it comes from that war game thing. But you guys are now getting at the second important point that happens to gaming in general mm-hmm. where going into the early 80s, getting to the mid-80s, something mm-hmm. that, that all versions of D&D kind of fumbled with was this idea that gaming was shifting away from the militant war game thing and people were getting attached to a character. Right. And the char- right. the character aspect, if it was more important, in playing a character and keeping them around enough to get some story for for this guy
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: Yeah, and you st- you started see gamings going a little bit where um, it wouldn't be as fatal that a, a brand yeah. new, a brand new character wasn't like Achoo! oh my god half the group is dead you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it was that shifting of attitude towards. Earlier versions of D&D, and the way a lot of people play when they first start, is that character is your interface with the world, and the game isn't about you playing Ragnar the Mighty, it's you solving the adventure. Right, yeah. The the character isn't really assumed to be a separate entity, but that kind of started by the mid-80s, and again, like Rob was saying, at that point you were getting more choices in the type of game. So story was getting to be more important. Mm.
2: Well, by by the second edition, they were already identifying various styles of uh, campaigns. and they, That's where you get the name, the Monty Hall campaign. Mm. Where you're just there to get a ton of stuff. And then yeah. there's the role playing and then there's the political action. Mm. I have friends of mine that play D&D and literally they're there for the conversation between characters. I'm like, are we going to kill something anytime <laughs> soon? You know, they'll have this conversation with a bartender for like 4 hours and I'm and I'm falling asleep going, "Okay, I don't drink, but I'm ready to." <laughs> <laughs> so everybody had their own versions, so but that came out of that first couple of years of that of the basic and stuff like that sort of saying, "Well, what do these what do these campaigns look like what's the flavor of them because i don't want to say genre it's not even really a genre it's just the flavor of what they are yeah. right
1: and remember of course at this point the the setting itself was generic so everybody's campaign had their own flavor like yeah, everybody right. would have their own house rules everyone would pl- would modify the hell out of the game i mean yep. i don't even think that many people actually ever even used hirelings as Don just referred to i mean mm-hmm. i don't think i ever played in a Role playing game where we were allowed to have hirelings or NPCs working for us ever.
2: I I got them. Well, if you remember, when you got to level nine, I think. I think mm-hmm. it's like level nine as a fighter, you were supposed to attract a whole bunch of henchmen. Oh, uh, those aren't uh,
0: technically they're not. When you got to name level, which was usually level like nine or ten, yeah. you got followers. Yeah. Followers are different because followers were you'd get tons. Hirelings were if you remember your charisma stat, you had like a maximum number
3: Sure,
0: and they were like your, your henchmen, hirelings and henchmen. Yeah. And then the, that's right. Yeah. And then there were also, you, I forget the technical term, but you could hire like dickweeds, which would be like guys to carry stuff. Yeah. And you had no limit to them, but they weren't going to really help you out when the orcs attacked.
1: Right. Right.
0: And it was okay. all, it was all, it was all very structured because again, that comes from the war game thing.
1: Right. Now, right. I think you I remember you telling me Don now this is something I never came across but that in D&D or at least some versions of it there was actually a setup where your character could eventually you'll know, retire and become the lord of a land or something like that is that true
0: that they all assumed that um the red box yes. one AD&D yeah and that was at name level that was one of the abilities you got is you could build a stronghold and you'd have your followers and even
2: as a even as a priest or a cleric, there was assumed that so much of your money would go towards building your next monastery or something like that. that yep. You would you would you would set that up as well for those reasons, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, and, and it was because again, um it, it goes back to that war game idea that was mm-hmm. when your character is powerful enough, you'd establish your own kingdom.
1: Right. Actually I think that's good though. I mean, because Later on, at least the games I was involved with, and maybe this is a game because I wasn't playing D&D in the early days or such, but a lot of role-playing games tend to lack an end game. Like the only yeah. end game is whatever, defeating the bad guy to this particular scenario or to this module situation, whatever. But they don't really have an end game to actually have your character kind of look forward to or work towards. But the idea that your character could eventually become, like, the lord of a land or something like that, and that was an actual thing your character could be working towards, to me, brings that character to life, actually. It actually adds something else to the game that I think a lot of games miss.
0: It it does, and it hits at something that you kind of lose with modern versions of, like, uh, D&D, was that D&D was meant to be a very long-term hobby. Right, And that was why in in your earliest versions, level progression is really slow, partly Mm -hmm. because you're going to lose characters left and right, and partly because of the expense and the way you earned experience. And AD&D, one of the rules that's in the book nobody ever used was finding a teacher. Okay. So if I wanted to go to ninth level, I had to find a guy who was 10th level to teach me, and there just weren't that many of them.
2: Yeah, that mm. was a huge thing, too, that we just sort of gave up on as well. Yeah, I remember that, too.
0: But it was it was because...
2: Or you were in a town, and, and it just so happened that in that town, <laughs> you could find somebody, fast forward to the next adventure. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, and that's and... the problem, right? I mean, you it would get in the way of doing the adventure stuff. I mean, you can't have the players all going off looking for teachers and all on these separate journeys. That's just going to fragment the group and like make it very difficult to GM and play.
0: Well the idea was you'd have said cities that would have that and that would be something known ahead of time and then when the characters evolved to the point that they became rulers of a kingdom, typically mm-hmm. that character would retire and then you'd start another campaign, but then you know, Ragnar the mighty twelfth level fighter would always be at that kingdom and it became the game was more about the world than it was the characters. I see. And so you were literally creating generations
1: of characters that would eventually evolve to non-player status, basically, or yep. become the elite of the kingdom, and you would then move on to do it to role-playing the next generation, basically.
0: Yeah, and that's it. Was generally this is why if you look at say your old school AD and D, and AD and D for the longest time was Dungeons and Dragons. That's what everybody right. thought of. Mm-hmm, there are yeah. there are there are no eleventh level monsters because it was assumed that tenth level. You would establish yourself. You'd retire. The next bunch would would uh, would would come in. Mm-hmm. Like that was the way that the game was 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 designed. But what ended up happening was, and they, again, it's this shift towards more character oriented stuff. Mm-hmm. You would have people who would want. Well, okay, my guy is the king. Let's play king stuff. And when they brought out the companion rules and master rules for D anD. D that's what Mm -hmm. that was all about right that you then you then had a if you remember the game you had turns rounds you then had like like kingdom turns that i believe were like three months and you check for what happened during that three month period and there'd be modifiers based on how much taxes you were charging and how well your kingdom was doing and and you could play out that that bigger kind of picture
1: that's the kind of stuff that was in the
0: AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide, right? Nope. that the, the the Dungeon Master's Guide never quite made that leap to running kingdoms. Again, it was assumed once you built your stronghold, you were done. That was mm-hmm. the, the D&D, the red box, basic expert one that did oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Yeah, it it didn't get till second edition that they started to specialize. There's actually a strongholds... Uh, there's a strongholds uh, campaign that I have, and there's also... Like a Catacombs and Castles. Uh, no, I think it's Castles and Catacombs are two different ones that I've got yeah. as well that come in. So Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, as far as I'm concerned, I, I remember there really was like initially only five sort of source books, I guess. And they didn't start off initially. They start off with the Player's Handbook. And nope. they had the ad- No, Ma- the Dungeon Master's Guide first?
0: No, actually it was Monster Manual.
2: Okay, the Monster Manual, because I got that as well. The Monster Manual, and then there was Monster Manual 2, and then there was the Fiend Folio as well. Yep. Um, And then there was a bunch of camp uh, modules, and then they often had uh, anything they wanted to add in came through the Dragon Magazine, and eventually uh, the Dragon Magazine and Dungeon Magazine uh, magazine split off, and and many of the campaign stuff they did in Dragon Mm -hmm. was in Dungeon, and then Dragon just kept up with like new character classes and new spells and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Did they have the did they have the second spells book out? No, that was second edition. Yep.
0: Yeah, Cuz what ends up happening um near the end of AD&D there, there, there there's uh what ends up happening that changes stuff that I think leads into second edition was Dragonlance. Right. Oh, yeah. And the the Dragonlance adventures were really important because in a lot of ways, they were the first narrativist role-playing games.
1: Right. Okay, it, hey, how so?
0: Well, it, it they were really weird because it was an interesting idea, but if you were a proper AD&D player, they were useless because you played the established characters, you played the established story, nothing you did really mattered. Oh like okay. like like if if you're if you're playing like Riverwind, Riverwind is not going to die in the first adventure because there's stuff that comes up later on that they have to be there for. Right. And again, it's it was it was AD&D bumping up against the new kind of gaming, which again was more character, more story oriented, which AD&D was just not equipped to deal with. Right.
2: Right. Now, and that's the Greyhawk. So uh, you start seeing Greyhawk world stuff everywhere, source campaign yep. f- stuff, and and campaign stuff. Now, did it did the when when they came out with all of the Greyhawk? Is that when they came out with the Forgotten Realms as well at the same time? No, nope, uh... I I remember them both sort of coming up against each other. As if you want to play two established realms, you could play Ed Greenwood's Forgotten Realms, or you could play Dragonlance, right? So,
1: yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. You da- Oh, Sorry, ahead. I was going to comment. You you're referring to Greyhawk, but Greyhawk came much earlier. Yeah, I think you you don't mean Greyhawk. Yeah. You mean Dragonlance, right?
2: Isn't Greyhawk and Dragonlance the same? Because I didn't collect either nope. one of them for the same reason. No,
0: they're different. Okay. They're yeah.
2: Oh, okay. What's the world? Is oh, it's Kryn, isn't it?
0: Yep, that's that's where Dragonlance takes place.
2: That's right. Yeah, my mistake. Sorry. Yeah, yeah.
1: and for- Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance should be contemporaries to each other. Yeah.
2: Right. Because yeah. Greyhawk
1: was like original D anD. D yeah, that was like yeah, the yeah, first D D right. setting. Yeah, it was the
2: first D and D setting. Because I, I always customized. I always had my own world. The Land of Terra. Mm-hmm. T E H R A. You know, and I and okay. I had seven continents and the whole bit. So I, I I would only use those campaigns to further feed my own world. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'd modify them whatever way. And I'm sure lots of other people did the same thing. So.
0: Yeah, well yeah. naturally. They did too. And and the thing with that too is when Greyhawk was like the first supplement for white box D&D and it became the default setting for advanced dungeons and dragons but when it came out it was a really threadbare setting right be- because mm-hmm. that was it was again still assumed that you would take whatever came out and fit it to your own personal campaign right yeah it
2: was sort of like little little areas like here's this campaign thing but there was no overarching kind of world. Um, all the monsters were stock monsters, right? Well, they, so,
0: they added because there's the, the original uh, AD&D Greyhawk supplement is a map and some really vague descriptions of the kingdoms. Right. And then the published mm-hmm. modules were all fit into that world. Cool. Like the earliest ones. But again, it wasn't something because the story wasn't real important at that point. Right, yeah. Right. Forgotten Realms was kind of more of a, a fleshed-out setting, but it wasn't until you got like the the Dragonlance that the the story-based, the narrative-based thing became a thing. Hmm. And
2: meanwhile, it was what? What year would that have been?
0: For which Dragonlance?
2: Yeah, for the Dragonlance stuff. Uh, was that was, early '80s. Yeah, now? it's
0: like '84, '85. I want to say.
2: Because the movies, uh, I'm sure, like, reflected this. Because, like, you had Mazes and Monsters in, like, 82, where you're talking about the negative style Mm -hmm. of stuff. And then we had Hawk the Slayer, which was, like... (laughs) Yep. He was, like, 80, or was it... Yeah, 1980 was Hawk the Slayer. And I remember playing D&D and watching Hawk the Slayer going, I need to go play more D&D. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. why don't why don't I have a crossbow or a was it a crossbow that fires like fifteen thousand rounds at once that was like so cool no that was, was a crossbow? awesome. Yeah, yeah that was awesome stuff and why didn't they ever come out with a sequel
1: anyway they they, they tried several times but they just didn't they just didn't put off yeah oh
2: you didn't so it's hyperlinked back to an earlier episode so sorry I didn't get off but I just wanted to point out that. That that people recognized this, and we started seeing fantasy movies in ways that we hadn't seen, you know, before. Mm. Right? There was mm. there was a ton of them that came out at this time. You know, you had the Sword and the Sorceress in eighty four. Yeah. Um, I've never seen Barbarians. Was really? It good. Eighty seven. Yeah. No, it was terrible,
0: uh, but it, it's a uh, lot of fun. Uh,
2: sure. <laughs> Your, Hunter from the Future. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget, you know, and uh, Beastmaster. And, Beastmaster. And, yep. Death Death Stalker. <laughs> oh, right. Death Stalker, yeah. Um Krull, which was a little more sci-fi, but still mm-hmm. it had a lot of the fantasy aspects in it. That's all like early eighties stuff, yep. right?
0: So, it's it's all D and D. Like I yeah. don't I don't think it's necessarily directly um inspired by D and D, but it's that Lord of the Rings, big giant quest, encounter, 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 final boss. That sort of Mentality permeated sword and sorcery in the day, and then, like I said, that was that was the D anD D thing. That was the the irony well, being... Is, hmm?
2: I was just gonna say this is what i I was thinking when I was look, thinking about this show tonight. I was thinking. Well, Lord of the Rings is the catalyst, and no one can argue that they're not like it's not the grandfather of fantasy when it comes to novels. Right. I would say D and D is the real grandfather for most of the fantasy stuff that we see in media stuff, including movies. Yeah. And things and video games mm-hmm. like Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale and Diablo and all that kind of stuff that comes from D and D more than it comes directly from Lord of the
1: Rings. Yeah, I would agree.
0: I would totally agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah, D&D was much more of an influence about a lot of fantasy and what we think about fantasy than Lord of the Rings was. And keep in mind, those who are younger than us, that, uh, the, that while the novels were very popular, um, you know, people oh, – how can I put this? Tolkien wasn't a true mega pop, bit of pop culture until the movies came out in like the 2000s. Right, yeah. right. Um, so
2: it, it was more, it was more people who were readers and academics that yeah. really liked, yeah. uh, Tolkien yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. They, yeah, it's true. In the seventies and, and after prior to that, nobody liked Tolkien.
2: Yeah. <laughs> There's <laughs> like all, this is where our, this is where our hope comes from gentlemen is that nobody, nobody listens <laughs> to our shows now, but 40 years from now, we're all going to be geniuses. <laughs> it's like. Oh my God! Is there another episode of of that DNA show? Those guys were brilliant.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we'll all be dead by then. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, Woohoo! So. that's the way that kind of stuff works.
0: <laughs> but it,
1: always the optimist. <laughs> I try, I try. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it it's interesting that you mention all of this stuff because that's what leads into Second Edition D anD D. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: Was well, because okay, continued. I'm sorry because oh, I was going to say, the AD and D, the D and D couldn't handle a lot of the character stuff. Because again, it was very, the mechanics were very functional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was it was very goal oriented. It was very defeat the villain, defuse the trap, blah blah blah. Second edition mm-hmm. kind of tried to fix that because that was where you had like character packages where you could totally customize. You weren't just a fighter d10 hit dice you know you're a fighter you can yeah. pick mm-hmm. and choose abilities stuff like that
2: well that's where they got they brought out the supplements on kits which yep. i have every one of them <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking at them right now the brown and the blue and the green yeah they had all all these great kits and, and the kits weren't just like the fighters kit which they brought out all the great proficiency stuff and specialization stuff um, mm-hmm. and the Wizards one that gave you all the ability to be able to like, specialize in certain schools of magic and really look into that. But they also had some really cool kits on character class. I mean <coughs> races. Like the dwarven Race one and the Gnomish one and, and the Humanoids one is a great character kit because suddenly it means you're not just stuck to those particular races, but you could actually create like a cobalt character Mm -hmm. or a half ogre character or, you know, something like that, that you could be able to play, uh, not on a regular basis, but as something different within the campaign.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
2: The second edition was my favorite. I'm just going to say that right now. I kind of stopped there. Okay. (laughs) I use, I was thinking the argument is just for the same reason why I don't go to beauty and the beast in the movies. If I find something that you know of of the that that works for me, why would I, I spend all this money amassing this great list and I modify it all anyway? Right. Mm-hmm. Why would I? Why would I go and rebuy everything all over again for three more uh, issues? Even I've played them at different places. Right. They're okay, but they I don't I don't I don't get any more enjoyment or any more role play out of three four. Now I haven't played five yet, and I hear right. that it's really good. But I, I I haven't I haven't got any better role playing experience out of that. So.
1: Right. Hmm. That's fair enough. Although, Jack, I gotta ask, when was the last time you actually got to play second edition DD?
2: Uh, a couple of months ago.
1: Oh. oh, that's right.
2: I play with my sons. Yep. Did... And in fact, they, they really enjoy it too. I, I'm on my birthday, my son I told you this, didn't I? I think on, you did. On my birthday, on my birthday I, I was having a nap and my I came out and my son had darkened everything and put up like these blankets and had a candle on the table and had started the campaign and he had made me a character in the whole bit. It was my birthday. And so then as we as we continued the story, my younger son who was in his room was called out and he brought out a character. So when I met him, he came. And he actually had a friend over sitting in his bedroom mm-hmm. for like three hours waiting for us to meet that character and he just, <laughs> just sat there and read books or whatever so he came out suddenly i had a whole party and i had no idea it was a really awesome one of my favorite tnd experiences wow it
1: was just a couple months ago so that was pretty cool no you didn't tell me about that one but that's fantastic congratulations you raised <laughs> <Yeah>. the right
2: <laughs> yeah exactly there's a whole bunch of dna people going
0: oh my god that's the best dad ever <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's right because they got into it because of stranger things didn't they
2: yeah, to be honest, they, I mean, I played with them before, and they enjoyed it, but when they watched Stranger Things again, they were like, uh, can we borrow your books, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> because they wanted to get into it. So they got into it themselves. Now, my, to be fair, my 16-year-old, every Sunday night, he goes and plays at his friend's place. So there's they've been doing a campaign now for about a year and a half, two years. Wow. So, that's, that's good. So that's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty cool. Okay, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, well, the next generation is being raised right. It's good to hear that. <laughs> Okay, so I'm glad to hear that your second edition books are still getting a workout. That's Mm -hmm. good to hear.
2: Well, more than that, I look through them on a regular basis because it gives me inspiration as a writer. And I think think that's one of the things, you know, in the end we'll talk about that. But I think uh, you'll find some of the best writers that we respect nowadays started off playing dungeons and dragons and Mm -hmm. you really get and and other role playing of course but you really get a real sense for pacing a real sense for Mm -hmm. drama a sense for voice and character and dialogue and all these aspects that are key to telling a good story a lot of that comes through playing dungeons and dragons and role-playing games Mm -hmm. yep
1: i definitely believe that yeah 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 i think that pretty much every writer of our generation Almost not every, but the majority of them, I'm willing to bet, were gamers and often dungeon masters or game masters, whatever. Yeah, I could see that. Well,
2: I was surprised. I, I actually got like 12 famous people who play D and D up, and you've you've heard of most of them, I'm sure, like the Vin Diesel's. Yeah, right? right. Yeah, and and Stephen Colbert is very famous, and Kevin Smith, and of course Felicia Day. But I didn't know, and and Will Wheaton. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that. I didn't know Stephen King was a player.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I didn't I know did, that. And I,
2: I didn't know that Joss Whedon was a player. That, that
0: doesn't surprise to, me. That should be obvious. He,
2: yeah, it should be obvious, <laughs> but he he had to give it up after university, but he was a huge player in university cuz he was just too too much too busy for that. I mm. also didn't know that John Favreau was. Mm. So it, he says it gave me a really strong background in imaginative storytelling. Mm. Uh, but if if you know that he he did like Zathura, that makes perfect sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Yep, Favreau makes perfect sense. Yeah, well here if even if you see him, I mean he's the guy who plays Happy Hogan in the Iron Man movies as well. That's who which he directed the first one. And if you look at John Favreau, you look at him and go, Yeah, that's a gamer. <laughs> right. For sure. He really he does. He looks like he walked out of someone's gaming group.
2: Yeah, yeah. But Dwayne Johnson does not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he is a gamer as well, right? Really? I knew Vin Rock, Diesel, but not...
1: Dwayne Johnson, oh, wow!
2: The Rock, The Rock is very much a gamer. Mm-hmm. He uh, he he apparently tried D and D in several. Oh, sorry. He it's, I'm, I'm, he has played it several occasions, but he prefers board games over role playing. Okay. It's, probably doesn't have enough uh,
1: enough character. Right. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, no, of course, Robin Williams was as well. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Robin Williams was There's a gamer.
2: There's a couple. There's a couple of uh, sports guys here that I don't know. Tim Duncan, mm-hmm. 15-time NBA All-Star, uh, is one of them, uh, as well as Kurt Schilling from World Series Champions. So any of, any of our DNA people out there who are sports nerds, you'll go, well, oh, my God, yeah. really? Both of so, you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I've heard those names, but I don't actually know yeah. them. I'm not a sports yeah. guy, obviously. <laughs>
2: yeah, But I'm... Um, since we're talking about you know the effect on on culture that happened, we you, you have to mention the Dungeons and Dragons television show that come on around this time because it's hitting mm-hmm. eighty three to eighty five, right? The the animated show, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we look at it and we go, it's awful now. But when we were kids watching it, it was it really was one of those things that amped up wanting to play D anD D more.
0: No, I I no, still no. thought it was terrible. Me too. Yeah. So only half I'm the sorry. room has weapons, and there's no cleric. What the hell? That's
1: <laughs> yeah that well, was and, and of course you heard our interview with uh will minio where he talked about how that was never supposed to be a dnd tv show to begin with that would yeah. you just grab the name at the yeah. last minute
2: that was an amazing interview sorry uh, once again hyperlink i'm gonna make this an audio <laughs> hyperlink show i will i will come up with a do the audio
1: hyperlink uh the technology at some right <laughs> yep. okay there we go I, oh i wish we could just say hyperlink and one would automatically yep. appear that would be so awesome oh i'd love that, that be so fantastic. much <laughs> Save our save so much time in post, but but yeah, um, no, thank you. Yeah, no, that was a great interview. I, we mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. Um, right, Will was a great, fantastic guest, and um, but yes, yeah, so that's the thing, right? I mean, if we'd gotten something that was closer to D like say the Japanese anime version, which was Record of Lotus War, yeah, like then we would have been crazy for it, but I don't even know what that is. No. Record the of the Lotus Office War. Unmiss- what, Never heard of that. You'll have to send me a link. Okay, I will. Uh, for those who are not familiar, and I suspect our anime watchers are "Record of Lotus War." Okay, so D and D hit Japan as well. Like yeah. the Japanese actually did get into it as well, just like we did. Mm-hmm. And so, as an end result, there they had in especially in the eighties and such, they had a you know they had their own role playing boom that happened. And one of these guys basically kept records of all his role playing campaigns. He drew, turned his role-playing campaign into a series of novels, and then they got animated. And wow. uh, in, originally into an OAV series and later into a TV series. Yeah. And OAV means like they were direct-to-video, basically. They were animated, but they were direct-to-video. That's what OAV means.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, but, but did they have Donnie Most playing one of the voices? Because good old Ralph Mouth from Happy Days <laughs> played Eric the Cavalier. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Well, actually, Frank Welker had some extra voices. I recognize Frank Welker's
1: voice. Oh, I'm sure. Like, Mm -hmm. all the classic guys were there. Remember, that was, I think, a Marvel Sunbow production at that point. And, I mean, so all their standard guys were in there somewhere. I'm sure that uh, Megatron was in there somewhere as well. And uh, Peter, oh, yeah, that was Frank Welker. Uh, Optimus, uh, Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime was probably in there voicing some knight or something like that, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) The the usual. But but anyway, no, Record of Lotus War, it's D&D. Like my yeah. god, it's the most D D thing ever!
2: Oh my god, you know who yeah. Peter Cullen is? Who? who? Venger.
1: Oh, that makes oh, sense. Of course, he's the
2: main bad guy. Of course. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just noticed <laughs> that when I looked at the IMDb, it, yeah. I had to spread that out. Sorry about that.
1: No, 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 and okay. I will link to um, Record of Lotus War when I get yeah. the uh, when I do the chance because yeah, I, yeah, it is. It's it's the most D D thing ever. In fact, it was one of the things that seeing actually helped get me towards fantasy back when i it came out when i was in like beginning university mm-hmm. and i remember Very seeing cool. that thing and going wow this is so cool hey wait this is D and yeah. uh that that for that was it for me that that's when i took an interest in fantasy
2: awesome
0: awesome well yeah, one of the things that actually out.
1: i mean yeah. i also read uh, terry brooks's shannara novels back when i was in yes. high school and that okay that made me more pro fantasy at that hmm. point well
2: the and and the thing is, he he argues that his Shannara novels aren't based on uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. Do you know what they're based on? <laughs> what? On Three Musketeers.
3: That's
1: no. what he says. I, I'm not buying it. Well, it's just... Remember, he's just defensive of being called a Tolkien ripoff for the last, like, 30 or 40 years.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Um, I'm not buying it. I mean, I... Oh, I re- tried rereading The Elfstones, which is my favorite, a couple of years back. And it's like, wow, this is D&D. Or, sorry, wow, this is uh, Tolkien again. It it very much is. Um, right, right. Actually, Shannara just got turned into a TV series.
2: Yes, yeah. I hear it's terrible, <laughs> but I don't know. Apparently, they're doing uh, a
1: second season, so it must have done okay. okay. They're filming second season right now. I haven't seen
2: it, but I just saw somebody on Facebook say they watched Sonara, and then there was a whole bunch of condolences. It was like somebody died. It's like all in the comments. It's like, oh, are, do, are, do you need help? Did somebody hurt you?
1: You know, well, it was and, done for that
2: kind of like really bad sort of things. So... Well, two
1: things. One, it's based on the second book, The Elf there uh, which oh, okay. was the better of the three books. I'd say I read all three um right. and also it was done for mtv so i have to wonder if mtv didn't want them to kind of use it up a little bit or something so mm, i don't gotcha. know yeah I, when it well, came out
2: we're getting dragon riders of pern for crying out loud and that's entirely D D style too right so
1: very true yeah,
2: that's a series coming out too. It's everybody's going fantasy now that we've got, had Game of Thrones really successful. Right?
1: Yeah, well, and Game of Thrones is leaving, so they're hoping to replace right. it with something. And
0: it's the yeah, it's right. it's the '80s again, so that's the the big fantasy boom.
1: All right, right. so right. let's continue because we don't want to get too far off track because we could the three of us could literally be at this <laughs> for four hours. Okay, so so let's. Um, that's in. pretty economical if you just say four hours. I know, I know. We're, this is going to be a multi-night event if we go to turn it down here a little bit. All right, so um, why don't we go with this? So, second edition comes out, yeah, and uh, second and Jack loves second edition. Second mm-hmm. edition was much more character focused, as Don said, and it um, allowed a lot more options. I remember, I remember the books that came out yeah were basically here's like a zillion like sub character classes for this type of thing there was like the ranger book and here's like 60 types of rangers yeah and here's like the wizards book and here's like 100 types of wizards and that's that's kind of what it was and i remember also they did the thing where they had the monster manual binders so yeah you could actually yes. and you could yeah. buy like the uh inserts so you it wasn't actually that you just put in the binder that's how you added to your collection yeah
2: yep And I didn't think that worked very well, but I I did have them. I do have them. And uh, they also had, like, the spell cards, too. Do you remember those? Oh, Oh, yeah. Spellfire, isn't it? You could have these spell cards, which were all the basic spells, and they had all the stuff. So you could have them almost like a playing deck of cards. This is way before Magic days.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yep. That's before Magic. Because this is around 91 we're talking here at this point. Um, Because it was early 90s. Uh, Yeah, late 80s, early 90s.
2: I would say it's still late 80s, honestly. Yeah, second
1: edition 90s. is 89. Is official, it? The official 89 and the D&D Rules Cyclopedia is 91, which I still consider basically second edition. Right. What, the, okay.
0: the Rules rule Cyclopedia is uh, basic expert, all that.
1: Oh, it is? Okay, it, okay. It's I just a reprint said. of those. Okay, then never mind. Uh, I'm off on that one. Uh, but, but anyway, second edition starts in 89 and it mm-hmm. – basically people played it throughout the 90s cuz third edition doesn't come until 2000.
2: Let's let's also not forget that they had a ton of different worlds in the second edition that they brought out beyond the yep. stuff. Like yeah. and they tried various different times like al which I have, right? Mm-hmm. Which is sort of like their uh their, their uh, Sinbad kind of storyline that yeah. they had. Yep. And then there was Dark Sun. Yep. yep. Uh and then there's Hollow World. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, the space one, which was what's it called? Starjammers. Star- Star-jammer. Starjammers, right? So there was there's a, a, just an explosion in second edition of creativity from all. So you could play D anD D in every almost every kind of way that you want. Oh, and Ravenloft. Let's yeah. not forget Ravenloft, yep. right? And
0: so, which Red a lot Death. of people loved. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: And what? Red Death. Red Death.
1: Red Death
0: yes. which I didn't is... know that one. It it came out near the end of second. It's the The idea of all the different settings that they came out with in second was important too, um, because you saw during the end of the AD and D run, mm-hmm. they were looking to to market it in, in other medium. Like you said, the cartoon, um, there were the toys, the things, and to do that, you need you need recognizable characters. Um the the Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, really, really popular. Second mm-hmm. edition, they added a shitload. The Red Death was set more... Um, it wasn't quite Victorian era, but it was at more like gothic horror kind of setting. It was actually a, a few... Say a century or two ahead of the more medieval setting that D&D usually happened in.
1: Right, okay. Yep.
2: I was just going to say... And I have the Celtic campaign book, and I have the Age of Heroes, which is sort of like Greek times yep. book. Mm-hmm. And so there's 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 a whole bunch of ones which were just more... Um, setting in flavor rather than, you know, a bunch of different monsters in the same, you know, like it wasn't so much of a, a massive campaign per se, but it was just a way to say, okay, you know, all the rules, here's a chance to try them different ways. And I was wondering if that in second edition, they were also trying to combat the rise of things like GURPS, mm-hmm. which was like universal. And they were trying to say, well, we could be more universal too.
0: Probably. Yeah. Cause it, it was also that idea you had, um, This was also the time that you had, like, the White Wolf stuff coming out, and there were sort of two kind of conflicting groups in gaming. There were the the people who wanted the fully detailed setting that you could totally immerse yourself in, and then the people that just kind of wanted a nudge because they wanted to come up with their own stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And Second Edition kind of bridges that, because you would get, like, say, the Ravenloft setting, which is horror and they'd give you some details and it'd be a bunch of like supplements but in in true D&D fashion you could still had a lot of room to play with right yeah like yeah th- this was also the time of the known world which mm-hmm. was the the gazetteer series that they did for yep. for like basic D&D Cause if you remember, basic D&D took place in Specularum
2: Okay. Yeah. Jeez, I forgot about
3: that.
0: Yeah. yeah. And they called that the 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 known world, and then they tried fleshing that out as a setting as well. Mm. And they did things with it because that was they did supplements. There's one that's more like a um, a Native American supplement. Yep. There's a a more uh, like the the ancient Mongol supplement. There's mm. the 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 orcs of Far, which was a, a, like an orc a, like humanoid kingdom, and you could play in that kind of thing and. And it was that idea of trying to expand the story of of the game because again that was right. something that took off towards the end of the eighties.
2: And advanced sort of expanded different worlds too because you had Manual of the Planes, which I'm looking at right now, yep. and Deities and Demigods came out then too, right? To add in all those extra rules as well. It's like you could have a god that you could, and this is what your god would give you if you if you worship this particular god. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool. Very
0: cool, and and that was they came up with the idea of the uh, the alternate material planes, right? So dragon lance yep. dragon Lance and forgotten realms are happening at the same time, but in different dimensions. Right. Yeah.
1: Yep.
0: That makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: That works. So uh, so they were trying that, and of course, I believe this is also the period. At least the nineties was also the period when the bottom fell out and TSR collapsed. Yeah, I think yeah, that was this period, wasn't it? Yeah, it was early. Well,
2: yeah, because yeah, it, well, Wizard of the Coast bought them up, right? And that's what saved them. And Wizard of the Coast wanted to buy them up specifically because they wanted to have more artwork and more and more name recognition. They wanted to be able to use some of the names that they had already sewn up in D anD. d Yeah,
1: basically, because
2: Magic the Gathering was really taking over. People were buying that instead of buying Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that was mid. That was probably closer to mid mid nineties. Like Ninety like yeah. seven. Ninety four. Okay, Ninety seven. Ninety yeah. seven. seven. I'm looking at
1: Wizards of the Coast, which at that time wasn't, but now is a subsidiary of Hasbro. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Wizards of the Coast was super, had made a ton of money doing, of course, the World of Darkness stuff. They and uh, TSR basically went bankrupt, if I remember right, because mm-hmm. uh, yep. Second Edition did not work out that well for them. I'm not sure the whole story behind that, but it didn't, I remember. And so Wizards of the Coast bought them and, and did what they could with it. Yeah. Right. Which eventually, of course, led to 3rd Edition in 2000. Yeah. So do we want to talk about 3rd, or was there anything more to say about 2nd?
2: No, I think that's that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, yeah, So, but once you get to 2,000, then you have to mention the Dungeons & Dragons movie.
0: No, we don't. <gasps> no, we don't. <laughs> no, 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 we don't. <laughs> That was
2: terrible. I love how it's got 3.6 on the (laughs) IMDb scale. Because it really – and it it highlighted for me the the frustrating thing that I had as somebody who played Mm D&D was why couldn't we have a a fantasy uh, uh, movie that took itself as seriously as we could take ourselves playing the game? And that didn't happen until Lord of the Rings, the movie. Mm-hmm. When you actually take a look at the Lord of the Rings movie and go, yeah, this is more like historical fiction. And I said that way back. I said, somebody has to do with a fantasy game as if it's a historical fiction game mm-hmm. or for historical fiction movie, I should say, mm-hmm. not a game, a fantasy movie and a historical fiction movie. So that people will take it more seriously because they always wanted to make it cheesy somehow. Yeah. And I couldn't mm-hmm. understand why. Because the audience had been so much more mature about this. Right? We we, we didn't want the cheesy anymore. We yeah. wanted something that took a that took a look at it from a real serious perspective. You and mean Game of Thrones? The <laughs> well, that was even more serious. That wasn't until much later, of course, right? So
1: Actually See, no, he started writing those in the nineties. Yeah. yeah.
2: but I'm thinking movies though. I'm okay, movies. movies. That's and true. Television, like mass medium stuff. There's a ton of people who never read Game of Thrones and when it came out. Take a look at the red wedding videos.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. Oh yeah, most Hyperlink. people didn't read them. <laughs> yeah. Hyper, there we go. Hyperlink. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna sample that for you so you can just pray it anytime. Hyperlink. But name, name Game of Thrones came out in '96. Mm-hmm. So there we go. There you go. But yeah. and it was popular, but only among like. Yo, hardcore fantasy fans and geeks. Yeah. They were the only ones who were yep. really paying attention to it back then when it first came out. For sure.
0: Cause you've kind of hit at one of the uh one of the problems that D has had almost since its conception is that when it expanded out into mass marketing, nobody knew what to do with it. And that was one of the things like um in the eighties LJN did a line of action figures based on on the books. And uh, nobody cared because right. the audience—it it wasn't the kind of people that would want to, like, you know, get out in the backyard and play at the action figure kind of thing. It was o- right. older people, or it was younger people who were, like, you were saying they took the game serious. Right. And the irony—the irony to that was the LGA and action figures. They were nice. They were really well done. They were most of them were really accurate to the game.
2: What, what about the Raul Patha action figures? Raul Patha? That's the ones I remember. No, they
0: did gaming miniatures. Those, oh, those yeah, are the actual... They
2: did D&D ones too, right? Oh, yeah. A
0: lot of companies did. No, I'm talking action yeah. figures, like Star Wars action oh. figures.
2: Are you kidding me? Seriously? Yeah,
0: see, he didn't even know. Like, they, they were, I didn't
2: even know that. No. They were
0: super not popular. <laughs> and again yep. it, it was just an audience thing, because like I said, the figures were beautiful. They were they were very well done, they looked good. The characters showed up because uh Strongheart and War Duke were from the action figure line. Oh, okay. And some of those characters they did figures of show up later on in different things. Like I uh I think Strongheart was actually in the cartoon at one point. <laughs> And War Duke came back officially for, uh, I know for 3rd edition, they did official stats for him and I think 2nd had them too.
2: Wow. The name's familiar, but I, both the names are familiar, yeah. but I don't remember seeing them. I'll have to check them out. There was
0: a module for AD&D that they were both in. It was kind of like, I think it was more like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. Gotcha. But it wasn't. They had a, a couple
2: of those solar adventure D and D campaign things. I have one or two of them as well. Yeah, designed for people who just love to read the games and play themselves, right?
0: So, yeah, or didn't have friends.
2: Yeah, <coughs> yeah. I mean, that wasn't me. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure.
0: <laughs> I have maximum charisma. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
2: And a villain hit points. <laughs> is that? That's
0: from the Simpsons. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Uh, it wasn't Ralph. It's the other, it's the other kid who's, who's really, really unpopular, but very rich.
0: Oh, uh, I can't remember his name. The, the, the little Brainiac kid.
2: Yeah. He's got, he has a swimming pool in one episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody comes to a swimming pool. That's right. Uh, yeah. The Brainiac. Yeah. Cause there's that whole episode where he's, he's in a dream and, and they have like, uh, sort of the, uh, the, the, um, the Freddy's Freddy Krueger style, mm-hmm. uh, killings during one of the things and he's and he's like a wizard right? yeah the
0: wizard <laughs> of conjugation
2: that's right <laughs> <laughs> yes you remember mm. so that that was the third so third edition came from wizards of the coast if so, yep. Hasbro wants to have done the fourth edition then
0: yes because yep. third oh, okay. third edition is kind of interesting because i have to say i think overall that's my favorite
2: well, is it 3rd or 3.5? Because they came in with 3.5 to fix, or something, all the stuff from 3, they said. Well,
0: that's what they said. They're not that different. Um, They juggled some of the numbers. Because 3rd edition was a big deal, and, and because its greatest achievement was also its greatest weakness. And that was the one where they did the open license, where anybody who wanted could do supplements for for the right, game.
2: right, right. That's that's when the die twenty system took over and mm-hmm. swallowed up like the board every possible <laughs> role playing system. Yes, it did. Now, everything was using die twenty. I don't. Was there a reason behind that other than we want everybody to play?
0: Well, no. That was that was basically it, and it worked out great on the consumer end because within that first year, everybody who could put out a supplement did, and there was a lot of neat stuff. They did a lot of like weird kind of derivations and weird settings and weird rules. And they detailed everything out and it was fantastic. It was beautiful. But by the end of that first year, anything you could think of somebody already put out. Yeah, pretty much. And I I always had the sneaking suspicion that 3.5 was kind of just a way of getting people to rebuy a bunch of stuff because there was literally nothing more you could write.
1: Yeah. Right. Because yeah. everybody and their brother knew that putting out a D and D supplement was almost printing money at that point for yeah. a little while there. So everyone did.
0: Yep. Yeah. And then what ended up happening too is people pushed it and they would use the D twenty system for non sword and sorcery games. Oh, there were a right. lot of those. Yeah, there were, and that was where. Well,
2: they would also re- recast stuff like Star Wars came yep. back as a D twenty. Mm-hmm. and i I like the D six system better actually. Mm-hmm. The start the D six system that Star Wars came there's a there's a an actual and if you ever find it in a second hand place, either one of you, I charge thee to pick it up for me because uh-huh. I don't have it. But the original D six source book of of how to use that D six was a great kind of GURPS style, not GURPS itself, but GURPS style sh- system where you could use for everything. Yep. And it was just really cool. And so I was kind of annoyed that a really decent system, that like a D6 system for Star Wars, was t- totally taken over and made for a D20. But that's because I hadn't bought into all the D20 stuff from version 3. Yeah. So.
0: The only thing I didn't like about it, and it probably because I'm an old school gamer, was the idea that a D20 campaign is finite. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the way uh, progression works, you're only going to be playing, like, say, 20 or 30 games, and then the character's going to be, like, 20th level, and it's probably time to retire. Your characters go up right. really fast in D20, <clears throat> is what you're saying. Well, fast compared to the old... Like, I'm used to the old-school AD&D, where mm-hmm. you could play for, like, four years, and, <laughs> oh, man, we made it to 7th level kind of thing. Right, mm-hmm. like like this one, it does. I can kind of see the advantage to the company, though, because what that lets you do is that's probably about a year of gaming, mm-hmm. and then you've played through your whole thing, and then you can pick up one of the other settings or one of the other variants, and then you can start your whole new campaign clean. You've you've wrapped up the old one pretty neatly. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a way to. Uh, to kind of keep the the products moving, right? Like that was the thing they started with. Second, the idea of putting more focus on on the the campaign setting, and then third edition. Sure. Third edition really took off with that. Cool. Mm-hmm.
2: So then, why fourth?
0: Um, I think what happened with fourth because a lot of people, most people, did not care for fourth at all. Right. 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 And I think what ended up happening was you got third edition comes out there's a new boom in gaming by like mm-hmm. the the mid 2000s it's starting to die off they're looking to 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 revamp gaming especially big gaming cuz this is a huge company they're hasbro now they're gigantic the right. the smaller companies for gaming are doing pretty good because if we sell 2000 books you know that that's that's a hit for us right because fourth edition and what people didn't care for so much about it, it played kind of more like a video game.:
2: Right. That's what I heard.: Yeah yeah,
1: that's, which is because when it came out in 2008, just for reference, it basically was the peak of World of Warcraft. yeah. World right. of Warcraft and when World of Warcraft at that point was like the biggest thing ever and was making literally tens of maybe hundreds of millions of dollars at that point.
0: Yeah.
2: Is it still making money or is it Oh, it's still
1: making money, just not that much. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Not as many people in the same no, way as more Diehards that are on there.
1: Yeah. yeah so, so many this competitors. this is
2: the time to my friend, my friend, like I have a good friend from school, uh mm-hmm. Brian Welcher. And uh he's played D&D and, and a lot of other stuff. He's been playing, he's probably in his let me think. He's probably like 40 41, 42, Mm -hmm. he's been playing Dungeons & Dragons and or other role-playing games every single Sunday afternoon since he was in high school. Wow. Wow. With with the same group of guys, uh, seven, eight guys that come in and play. And so... Every Sunday, that is his thing. He doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't do anything else. That's his thing. They all get down and they play. And often they'll come in the morning and they'll play like Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. And then they'll play all afternoon or mm-hmm. you know midday all afternoon. And, and then in evening, they'll go back to their own homes. And then they'll play online on a video game online kind of thing of some sort. So they're like hardcore. Yeah. So he jumped from, from that, he jumped to Pathfinder, yep. which he said was sort of like going backwards to more what D&D was and he became like he's he makes a fair amount of cash as you know as somebody who's got like 4 degrees in the teaching profession and his wife is the same way mm-hmm. um they he gets a brand new pathfinder campaign like every week or every month right and and he's got so many that he said that if he just retired right now <laughs> and they played constantly like every week he would still never be able to finish them all wow hmm. so he doesn't make up his own. He just he just plays what they give them, and they have a rule that if they die in one of the campaigns, they put that campaign away and they never play it again. Wow! So it's sort of like if we didn't do it, we didn't do it. Time to play another game, right? So <laughs> that's pretty hardcore. Uh, so that's yeah. hardcore. I get full yeah. props for that. So is Pathfinder like three then?
0: Yeah, Pat. What what happened was, and this kind of ties in with something that came up a little earlier too. Mm-hmm. Pathfinders version three point five, like period. It 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 juggles the numbers and that because what happened was everybody loved three and three point five, everybody hated four. Pathfinder started. They did supplements and campaigns for um, third edition, and when fourth came out, they just said, "Well, we'll just pick up the uh, third edition slack," and they did their own tweaked version of it, and yeah, they just kept going.
1: Except Pathfinder is not by uh, Wizards of the Coast, no. if I remember right. It's no, actually, no, it's not. It's actually they—they they basically uh, another company basically said, "Well, you're not doing anything with this. Can we sub, can we get you know uh, get the rights from you? Uh, at least tempor- you know, borrow the rights, whatever, license the rights." And Wizards of yeah. the Coast is like, "Okay, sure, more money for us. Go ahead."
0: Yeah, because it's it's That's right. it's basically still the open gaming thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's still D
2: twenty. So. But they don't use the same names. They must have different names <clears throat> and such for character classes and everything. Well, they because... no, no.
0: It's 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 the same. They have different stuff because um they have their own settings. What Pathfinder started um as in um in a uh, polyhedron they would run these epic campaigns that would take your character from first level to twentieth level.
2: I I was the original subscriber of the first polyhedrons by the way. Yeah, these are cool. these are the D3 ones. The, the magazines, yeah, the, the that came they used to come with Dragon magazines at first. Yeah. <laughs> right, yep.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Just like little pamphlets is what they were. Well, they were. Little white pamphlets. That's all they were. Yeah, cuz it was like a it was like a fanzine for crying out loud. When you think about it now, <laughs> the stuff that they have now, it's incredible. Like I even looking at the Dungeon Master screens now. Mm-hmm. They're like they're like super deluxe awesome D- dungeon master screens that would last forever compared to the little cardboard things that somebody probably cut out originally from you know their Kellogg's special K <laughs> box, right? And painted the other side.
0: <laughs> that that was, was half the fun. fun. Yeah. It
2: was. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Go That's ahead. Okay.
0: Because that gets with the idea, like Jack said, he stopped at second. There are people who produce new material. For I think like every version of D. Nice.
3: Like uh it's they,
0: the internet. Yeah, and, and they do them PDF, because I picked up a bunch of stuff for white box D just like a couple months ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and it's because what happened was there are people who that was their first one and that was what they're used to and that's what they like. And then mm-hmm. a couple years ago, uh TSR released a new version and it's very nice it comes in like a wooden box and has fancy dice and it's reprints of all of the books right and that got more people in and i think when they did that you had just enough that these little gaming companies will do and they're usually like only like 10 pages or so these little pdfs that yeah it's new material for the very original d right but it's because people well, this- can pick and choose
2: Well, this is interesting because I looked up on the website, uh, here we go, hyperlink. It's called (laughs) um, Six Best uh, Dungeons & Dragons, right? Uh And so what they do is they have people recommend them and people that don't recommend. And Dungeons & Dragons Edition 5 is 10 recommended, 2 not recommended. Right. And then Second Edition is the next best, which is 4 recommended, 1 not recommended. And then it goes down to like, you know uh like fourth edition 7 recommended 7 not recommended right <laughs> <laughs> and then the 3.5 pathfinder 6 recommended 5 don't recommend it and i'm thinking to myself I'll bet you that one of the reasons why second edition is up there, so like so few people have played it, mm-hmm. so nobody's going to recommend or not recommend it because they can't play it. So either the, no wonder that the fifth edition is the, the hottest thing there because it's the latest one out, yeah. All these people are playing it that are going to be on the website, yep. And then you, you you get this sort of strange mix. Everybody hates four, so it, you've got a mixture of some who really loved it, lots of people who really hated it, and so it, it can you ever really have an honest like definitive uh ranking of the five different systems as to which is better i don't think you can
1: it depends probably can no i'd say you probably can i mean if you had people that have actually played all the different versions and could look at it objectively i mean you could Mm. have yeah you could have rating oh that would be don probably (laughs) (laughs) um i have a feeling um although don hasn't played fifth so there that that Mm. disqualifies you don I have a funny feeling I could probably find someone who has I, I think I know someone who probably has besides you I mean um, but um, yeah I mean there are people that have that could actually look at it objectively and say which ones are better although Don's already made his clear he's he's already biased towards like 3rd edition or maybe 3.5 take your pick
0: Well, I, I like 3rd just because I didn't want to buy everything again
1: Right. Well,
2: here's my here's my argument against that. In the respect that, how can when I say, um, how can you make those definitions? It really depends on what you look for in a game. And Dungeons and Dragons is so large. It, you know if you sit there and you say, yeah, it's the gra- it's the greatest one for going in and just coming up with a whole bunch of treasure. Mm-hmm. Or is it is it the greatest one for doing, which one's the best for actual role-playing characters? Which one's the easiest to DM? Which, you know what I mean? There's yep. like a thousand different things you're going to have True. to ask about it. As opposed to some sort of very small, like, there, there's a lot of role-playing games that are much more narrow in scope, and you can actually take a look at the system a whole lot better as to how it deals with things. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you've got similar systems based upon each other, like other than from what it sounds like four is a r- vast, um, diversion from what it, the other Pretty ones much. are based, you know what I mean? It's not, I, I think the biggest complaint I heard from people about second edition is that they don't understand Thaco mm-hmm. and which isn't hard to understand, but they just like to psych themselves out about it. It's still, it's still D and D, you know what I mean? There's just, mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes armor classes, you know, armor class went from being it's good to have it as minus to it's mm. good to have it as plus. Yeah. That was like the big change, right? Because the,
0: so. the the Thacko thing comes from AD&D. That was near the end run of, of AD&D. They did that. You're right. And that's that's your your statement there is kind of funny because there was a, a cartoon in one of the Dragon magazines where they run into a lich. And the group is all, it, it's when 3rd edition was out and the group is all laughing. Oh, look, like you look like your fashion sense hasn't changed in like 20 years. What do you mean? This is the height of evil fashion. Yeah, maybe when Zero was a good armor class and they all laugh at him and stuff.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I just sent you guys links too for Rancor. And Rancor puts Dungeons & Dragons as the top game of all role-playing. Mm-hmm. And Shadowrun is second Call of Cthulhu is three Vampire the Masquerade. It goes on. I call I, I, although I call shenanigans on this because it doesn't have Space eighteen eighty nine anywhere on the list, <laughs> and uh, so therefore it is biased and not existent. So we're just going to ignore it.
1: Which that. Star Wars is he actually referring to? I think he's referring to. Let's take like a quick peek.
2: It looks like the original.
1: That, well, which original? But if you if you click on if you here's the problem. If you click on the link, it takes you to the Amazon one for the most recent Star Wars role playing game. Which yeah, is, that's not it. which is definitely not it, uh, not in no. any way, shape, or form. Because yeah, the, the original it, West, West End Games was the maker of the original Star Wars role which playing. Which I, I have that as well. Both
0: originals. Um, there's two. There's two yeah. editions.
2: Yeah, I yes, have one is. of them myself. First and second. Yep. Hmm. I think I have the second edition myself too. So, um, yeah. No. So, that's that was my argument about it is that you're gonna have to. First of all, you have to agree upon. What is it you're going to be measuring to see which one one of the versions and editions is the best? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because there's so many things you could focus on because it is such a, a large uh a large role playing system that is really, for the most part, variations on the same theme. Yeah.
0: Cause mm, that, I can see that. That's the idea with anything that you want to rate. You have to say, well, what do you mean by good? Because having played like Geez, a bajillion different versions of D&D, I discovered that I really do like them all because each one is a different experience. Hmm. You can see that. Yeah. They're all they're all variations of the same theme, but there's little things that make them different. Like if I if I had friends anymore, I would run a white box. <laughs> I would run a white box campaign.
2: Just for fun?
0: Yeah, because it's totally different. I had this idea for, for doing D&D campaigns that um, when you look at the different editions, each edition, because, like I said, this idea of story becomes more important, each edition is more expansive with what it covers and, and how the settings work. So I was picturing you'd run White Box D&D as a very simple campaign. It's a simple kingdom. The one that I designed, there's like six cities all together, Period. And it's, it kind of feels more like a, uh, a medieval flavored ancient Greece, like the, the heroes of legend type era. Um,
2: yeah, there, there's almost a more innocence attached to the whole white box.
0: Kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in the yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, cause, oh, no, and that's exactly it. And then you get to like the red box one. And it's more, um, high fantasy because yep. the, the rules just basically cover like action packed heroics. Yep. And then you get to, to AD&D. AD&D is very similar, but it's more the uh, the Conan, Robert E. Howard type thing because now my character can die of dysentery and ear parasites <laughs> as well as getting right. stabbed to death. And the the world itself affects the character right. more, even with that idea of I have to find teachers, I have to pay for upkeep. That's right. more of a gritty the world kind of thing is sure. is sinking. As... And then you get to second... And second plays a lot like the red box, except there's more variety. So it's this more kind of heroic world, but it's super expansive because there's just so many things around each corner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you get to like third and 3.5. And because there's so much customization that you do with like your characters and even the setting, like they, they, they do rules for how towns and that work. It's all very, it's structured. But there's a lot you can monkey with and it, it gives you this feel of establishment because when I, when I go into town looking to sell the magic items I have, there's actual rules for how much can merchants in town scrape together to pay for the shit that I bring in. Mm-hmm. Which other, uh, no other version took that kind of thing into account. But now you've got, this give and take between the world. And like I said, they're all, they're all very, very different. And I, I could see running any of them as a campaign.
2: Yes. There's, there's this great little, uh, graphic that's called orc with a pie that i oh. sent you guys to. <laughs> and, and it's, it's quite, cause it's, it's supposed to describe all the different editions. So very briefly, first edition, there is an orc with a pie in a 10 by 10 room. Mm-hmm. You want the pie. What do you do? Second edition. You enter a small, dimly lit room with dark granite walls that look like they've never been cleaned. Standing before, you is a smile- smelly, snarling, dark mire orc. Wearing rough and tattered leather armor and carrying a crude and rusty longsword. With a low growl, he introduces himself as Ermac, son of Krog, son of Ermac. In his rough, calloused hands, he holds a large lattice, strawberry, rhubarb, and mint pie. <laughs> and it's still steaming. And its fantastic aroma gently wafts towards you, arousing your appetite and reminding you that a long ago, with Margamedes, the Wizard of Redstone. What do you do? <laughs> Third edition. These are these a lot faster. With your spots check, you notice an orc warrior standing in the center of a 10 by 10 room. He appears to be holding some sort of pastry, and with your profession, <laughs> pastry chef, roll you identify it as a pie. What do you do? Fourth edition. You see a solo brute in a t- two-square-by-two-square two room. It has some treasure. How do you fight it? fifth edition in a small otherwise empty room there is a burly orc warrior holding a a strawberry pie the pie looks delicious what do you do (laughs) (laughs) apparently some somebody wrote this is like the best description of the five editions i've ever seen
0: (laughs) works pretty good (laughs) huh
1: okay (laughs) hyperlink yeah there we go yeah you the audience can find it in the in the links for the show Um, (laughs) yeah well and that's that's interesting. That really is. Out of curiosity, did what did second edition have that would encourage such astounding detail in your characters and everything, or is that just the result of that super super customization I was mentioning before?
2: I think it had just a lot of great detail and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just it it, it it just opened up the world. That's why I mean I loved it the most when I I loved it. advanced advanced had more technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, but I found that there was just so many more options for various different things. Like, like I said, all the kits classes came out in second edition. So suddenly you weren't just looking at, you know, the wizard illusionist options. You were looking at like 10 different kinds of wizards Mm -hmm. and, and mixing and matching. So like, I, I remember having, you could have a, a wizard that was a warrior wizard. Mm-hmm. Which uh, which was really unusual, but you know, if he wore any armor, he couldn't cast spells, or there was very limited spells he could cast because he was using a sword. So, because for, before that, you you know, if you were running a wizard and be you know, up to that point, you had what uh, a staff, a dart, and a dagger. Those were your three options for weapons.
0: I think they added sling.
2: Yeah, and sling. Yeah. That's right. And if you were a priest or a cleric, you know, you couldn't hit anybody. You couldn't use a sword, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to use, you know, a f- well, not a flail, um, uh, a mace. Yep. Mace was one of your big ones. Mm-hmm. You, for some reason, you could get you could get a crossbow.
0: It depends on the edition.
2: Yeah, it depends on the edition, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so there were there was a lot of limitations. A lot of people played warrior characters so they could just use any kind of weapon they wanted. Mm-hmm. But when the kick classes came out, they sat there and they said, um, if you're gonna be a savage wizard, you get to use these weapons. If you're gonna be a this kind of wizard, you get to be these use these kind of weapons. It really allowed people and it wasn't like you weren't hampered by the rules as much as they sort of unleashed you into thinking, Wow, you're right, there's a whole bunch of different ways I could look at this. Mm-hmm which was kind of cool. And a lot of those were taken directly from Dragon Magazine articles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just bound into these kit classes before. But it was it was sort of like, once they had the the framework of advanced D&D to play with, people started saying, well, what if you created this kind of character? Like, yeah. I actually sent... I, I sent stuff into Dragon Magazine, totally rejected, but I sent <laughs> in a Dragon Slayer character class. Mm-hmm. And I figured all that out kind of thing too, because I thought, well, hey, this is another kind of warrior class. It'd be kind of fun. So yeah so that was what I liked about second edition and i and I had to laugh when I read that
0: out <laughs> mm. yeah okay, plus second was the one where they really started uh getting into different settings right, yeah, and there was a lot of uh, they also at that point you were getting novelizations and that so the settings like the spell jammers there'd be a lot of uh flavor that would go along with in the books and the same thing like um Ravenloft was almost entirely based on that idea. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was all descriptions, and they would do stories, and that 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 related to the different settings.
1: That well, that makes sense. That mm-hmm. definitely makes sense. Um, okay, so I think we've covered all the uh, editions of D anD D. Then we've covered we've covered out to five, and five, of course, came out. I think was twenty sixteen. Was it?
0: Fifteen or sixteen, yeah, it's really recent. Fifteen or sixteen,
1: recent. it's it's pretty recent. Um, Fourteen, actually, I'm wrong. Fourteen, whatever. Okay. Anyway, so all right, so D and D, and I think we've also covered that D and D was very influential, especially in pop culture in many yeah. ways. I mean, uh, going to video games, I would argue that pretty much the entire fantasy role playing video game industry is D and D. Yeah, they're all ultimately versions of D and D, even the Japanese stuff. Like, Final Fantasy started out as D&D rips. Mm. And um, so D&D has been hugely influential. And it, I'm going to assume that D&D is like everything else 80s, that eventually our generation will figure out a way to make a movie series or something out of it, I would imagine. Mm. Um, that, uh, And so that continues to influence things. Um,
2: well i for, I forgot to mention the fact that after university I played an online i created my own online forum mm-hmm. right and played for like four or five years uh, a continuing quest game which you, you can still read you can still go to the website and, and and read through it which eventually I do want to make into like an ongoing audio drama series or a series of books because it turned out so well it's called the camelan quest mm-hmm. right so yeah I mean we all have those great stories i'm just glad i got to, a chance to play them online to write them down right and and write them with my so i would like write a post of what was happening for the day mm-hmm. and then people would respond and then in the thread i would just constantly respond to them and then anytime a new event would happen i would be i would be writing a new post kind of thing so right it worked out kind of well so Good, I, can anyway, see that. I didn't mean to interrupt but mm-hmm. yeah no, no so that's cool they're there there's a ton of people that are there out there and like i said i've got I figured out I have over two thousand pages worth of text to the to the Cameland quest. Wow! And at least I think I broke them up into four books. So, uh
1: uh-huh. huh. Oh, I'm sure there's some George R. R. Martin fans who are who who listen to that and go, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> uh huh, sure. Exactly. Oh, so you have a book. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, but uh, well, because fantasy fans are known for loving their massive tomes yeah like you know yes. that's that's a fantasy standard pretty much that if you can't pump out like you know thousand word novels every couple months you're you're not a fantasy writer you're you're definitely <laughs> not um oh who's the top fantasy writer right now not george r, r. martin but there's a guy oh crap he wrote the, brandon sanderson mm-hmm. brandon sanderson oh, okay. is is the man he just pumps that stuff out he just pumps wow. out these door stops every couple months <laughs> um and he's he's pretty astounding um anyway but but even but yeah so the fantasy genre as we know it in books is basically dungeons and dragons yeah i mean i would be
2: surprised if anybody writes as much as piers anthony did Mm. because he would come up with like all of his ideas during the during the year and then in the summertime he would sit down in his like little summer summer uh place and he would just type out four or five books for the year that's why i have like so many like a spell for chameleon all the xanth books that lasted forever and ever right yep and by the way those are going to be a movie series as I was well say
1: yeah um, they're making xanth i don't know how that's going to work but okay sure yep hmm.
2: sure so i mean yeah i would i would probably put almost anybody up against him for for the amount of just fantasy stuff that comes out is crazy amount uh, and, and i'm not saying it's good I'm just saying. <laughs> for he for the amount, a lot. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> you,
1: that's the thing, right? In the current self-publishing era, there's a lot of fantasy writers or just writers sure. online who now they're doing practically the new pulp thing, where you know they're writing to survive, right? So they're yeah. churning this stuff sure. out like at in wow astounding yeah. like thousands of words per day many thousands of words per day mm-hmm. and then they just hand them they, they finish them they hand them off to their editor and well we'll talk about that as a whole episode sometime yeah um Ed- but just, editor oh wow well yeah uh, some of them get, <laughs> yeah some of them are using editors some of them are not um mm-hmm. some of them are just hitting publish right away they're just compiling them and hitting publish mm-hmm. um but they gain, a repu- that, they gain a reputation fairly quick and then the re- author has to develop a new pen name and start the cycle all over again Mm-hmm. that's right okay but anyway so D <laughs> um i think we've covered most of it actually i mean yeah, like all the, 11 what, versions <laughs> well yeah exactly um so what else can we say about dungeons and dragons jack what else can we say about D that we haven't said so far
2: um it's a cultural icon mm-hmm. it's it's certainly i mean you it you cannot escape i think it's one of those things that everybody Knows, yeah. If mm-hmm. You say D and D, everybody knows what you're talking about. So there's very few things that have have sort of hit the zeitgeist as powerfully as Dungeons and Dragons does. And you could have argued that maybe nobody'd heard of it too much, like outside of play- players. these But you're right. Stranger Things brought it back, and suddenly there's like a whole new group of people who love it. I mm-hmm. mean, there was an episode they did in Community of it. Two. Um, there's. Uh, Two, yeah. there you go. There's, there's. Epi- I mean, there's the guy who did Community. He's running an online, he won't call it Dungeons & Dragons, but it's totally Dungeons & Dragons, uh, television show where he sits on stage and they play D&D and they have somebody animated <laughs> afterwards. Harman yeah. Quest. Yes. Harman,
0: yes. Quest. Yeah.
2: Harman Quest. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something... and I thought it was going to die when video games came out. I Mm -hmm. really thought that role-playing games and stuff like that, but I think it's actually having a renaissance because I think people, uh, despite what all your parents used to tell you, uh, um, it actually brings people together in a healthy social Mm -hmm. Mm manner. And I think that that's what people are noticing is like, yeah, I'm actually inviting people over. We're having something to eat, and we're playing you know, role-playing games together, and we're doing something that, you know, can really enhance somebody's social abilities. And the idea of just the word role play Mm -hmm. has become used as a regular basis because of D and D. I mean, they use it in psychology. They use it in school classrooms. Okay. We're gonna have a little role play about this situation kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It may not roll the dice, but it's the same kind of thing. You're going to take on the character of this. And so, what used to be something was almost impossible to try to describe to somebody. It's like, okay, so how do I play Dungeons and Dragons? Okay, I'm going to tell you this right now. The first time I'm going to tell you how to play Dungeons and Dragons, you won't know. But the second time, you'll understand. Right? right. So come back next week and then you'll be able to get it. The first week but that that's gone. We can make allusions to stuff on like you say video games which is all based character stuff and stats on Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we and and people have seen it through all sorts of medium. We've gotten to a point that it's literally part of the human DNA at this point. Well, North
1: um, American culture and that
0: at this point. Well you just said in Japan yeah, as
2: well. I'd, that's I'd, true.
1: Okay, valid point. Valid I'd point. say
0: all through Europe, Great Britain. Europe as well. Uh, there's, yeah. there's...
2: I don't know about China.
0: No,
1: they yeah, didn't true. get it. The, well here, China's weird though. They got it, but they got it through Japanese video games. Mm-hmm. Um okay. so they and they so they all know all the D D terminology, but they know it because Chinese Chinese are nuts about computer games about like online role-playing games and role-playing games and that in general yeah. they adore them but they got it all through japan's video games which of course got them from D and D. right i don't think china has ever had that's something to look into uh mm-hmm. i don't think they've ever had a role-playing like community really it's not a tabletop i don't think it ever really took off there They yeah. unfortunately they were Remember China was a closed country at the time. And they were kind of worried about survival mostly, day to day stuff during yeah. the nineteen eighties. Yeah. So, um yeah. yeah, I don't think China ever did I don't think in I don't think it caught on in India. Um again, I don't know this for sure, but it seems like it was something that now South America it caught on. Yeah I've heard that I've heard that South America, especially Brazil role <coughs> playing games were super big.
2: For sure. Yeah. I mean, they had a they had a worldwide Dungeons and Dragons game day. I'm noticing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but as a prevention, uh, I guess it was the coast. And over 40 countries yep. right. were involved, so it's not just limited to North America, no.
1: right? Um I can tell you. I wish my Chinese was better, Um but there's a <laughs> game store near my uh, mother-in-law's place in Taiwan, in Taipei, Taiwan. And um, there, I've I've walked by it. I haven't gone into it, but they've actually got D and D posters up in the front window. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure that they're mostly like involved with card games and such. But no, I'm pretty sure there is an actual D and D you know culture, whatever, going on in Taipei, like in Taiwan, that they actually do have it. But it yeah. won't be mainstream. It'll be you know it'll be a subculture. At at for now, <laughs> yeah. At best, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I can tell you, so there's some of the Chinese-speaking world anyway does actually play D&D. Uh, probably, I'd probably find something in Hong Kong too if I went looking. Oh, definitely.
0: Uh, definitely.
1: China proper, maybe now there might be a little bit of a subculture in like Shanghai maybe, um, maybe Beijing, but again, very small and it's not part of their regular culture anyway. Right. Hmm. Um, but north america yeah you know most people still know if i mentioned dungeons and dragons to my students i bet most of them well now thanks to stranger things they'll all know what it is but even, bef- <laughs> right. but even before stranger things i bet most of them would at least know or have heard of dungeons and dragons yeah i bet almost none of them would have played it but i wouldn't yes. bet most of them would know what it was mm-hmm. or at least right. they might think it was a computer game though that's the only thing well it there was there's a few of them it is yeah exactly <laughs> well, there was a d and d online never winter ago.
2: nights, never winter nights was like the official d and d game I remember that was like a real role playing sort of diablo style game, yeah, yep, that was using all the d and d rules so yep yeah. that was
1: the original a d and d uh online game anyway
2: mm-hmm. right
1: and then yeah, and then since then there w- there is even an actual d and d online like that was their attempt to cash in on the whole uh world of warcraft thing, but I think it crashed and burned, yeah.
2: Oh, that's too bad.
1: Okay. So that one didn't work out so well. Uh, let's see. It's influenced music, of course. Um, not just Led Zeppelin, but there have been <laughs> lots of bands that have had D&D references or been involved with uh, D&D at one point or another. TV, yeah. you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of TV shows make references to, uh, to D&D. Stranger Things being the most popular and recent, but not the only one.
0: Yeah, the community episodes I think are the best, especially if you can see the second one mm-hmm. with uh yeah. with with the old guy. I,
1: yes.
0: I haven't seen it, so I can't say. It it has my favorite scene where they have it's it's the the one character he's an old guy and he's trying to his son is a huge fan and they're mm-hmm. playing a campaign because they they successfully ran a campaign in a in a, an earlier episode. And this old guy is 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 playing like this like halfling. And there's a scene where they're attacked by hobgoblins. The old guy's like, I run up but I punch him in the heart. And he roll. And he <laughs> you you miss. What do you mean I miss? When I was in Nom I punched so many people in the heart. How could I miss? Yeah, but you weren't a four foot halfling running through three foot grass to hit a six foot monster. Alright, good point. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I always, I always like um, uh, Chang, the character Chang, when he's like, oh. he, he comes and he, and he's like dressed up as complete, <laughs> like in complete full dark elf makeup, right? uh. and they go, wow, good, good job dressing up, and he's like, oh, he's dressing up, <laughs> like, it's just how he showed up, right? Right. and he dies in the first thirty seconds, like he's gone in the game. Wasn't that Dingleberry? Right, wait, wait. Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah, I'm Dingleberry. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> oh, good
2: stuff. Good yeah, stuff. exactly.
1: So, Don, any final thoughts about D and D before we get going?
0: I think the. Uh, I think it's one of them things that's always going to be around, and I think it's an important. It's an important event, I'll say, because it mm-hmm. was the first time you really had the the combination of, we'll say, math and physics and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because. When you look at things like um video games and that, a lot of what we play nowadays and a lot of the kind of games that we're likely to have in the future, that whole idea those whole algorithms are f- they they the the genealogy was right back to the original d and d to that idea of converting real world events and and characters and and human beings to formulas and algorithms
1: hmm. Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I see your point.
1: So in, su- in some ways, it may eventually end up invol- uh, affecting um, even artificial intelligence in our, and the way we develop uh, computer systems that work with people. Wow. Yep. I mean, if you want to be technical about it, even the whole idea of like, you know, the matrix and virtual reality, some of that is Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. And uh, no doubt we will be using it, of course, for Dungeons & Dragons uh, type <laughs> games and everything. Once we can stop people from throwing up after they've been playing it for 20 minutes.
0: <laughs> that just sounds um, like my old campaigns.
1: Ooh, <laughs> ba Okay, so on that note, I think I'm going to bring this um, gaming session to a close. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have any particular thoughts about D&D myself, other than that I actually agree with, you know, Don, that each version has its own flavor. I'm somewhat fond of the White Box. I think this third edition probably was the best one they put out. But, but I can see the appeal to second. So, you know, I'm I'm totally in the middle on all this. Because like I said, this isn't really my genre of choice. Ah, true but, neutral. Um, I True neutral, exactly. I'm true <laughs> lawful neutral. Um, but I do accept that D&D has been a part of my life, whether I wanted it to or not. And um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's, a, that's awesome, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that d and d will continue to be a part of uh, our culture for a very long time in some form or another, mm-hmm. and that I'm really glad that some people are actually starting to get into it as a social experience once more, because I think that especially the current generation needs more actual social experiences right. that involve other human beings and preferably don't involve phones or computers <laughs> but that's just me being you know old school. <laughs> All right. On that note, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for listening, everyone. And good night. Happy gaming.
2: Thanks for the memories.
1: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!